I think it just creates such a limitless view for you to be like, okay, this person really believes in me and they're working with me every day and they see me every day and they know who I am and they're telling me I can do this and I trust their word so much. Like I'm, I'm not going to not do it. Like I'm going to go out there and get it done because they believe that I can and I believe that I can. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 15 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. I had such a blast talking with rock star Angel Piccarello that we set a new PR for the longest run chat. Angel's a professional track athlete for Wazell, specializing in the 1500 and 800, and she ran collegially for Villanova where she owns the NCAA 1000 meter record and was a nine times pen relay champion. Wow. Angel grew up in a small rural town in PA with one stoplight and is currently living in Philly with her dog, Bailey, and her fiancé, Patrick Tiernan, who runs professionally for Nike Australia. Can you say fast family? The topics we discussed, high school, college coaches, mentors, and the role they play. Her time at Villanova. Team dynamics. Where does she get her competitive fire and drive from? Systemic racism, the Black Lives Matter movement, and finding her voice and allyship. Angel is bright beyond her years and has truly found her voice. I hope you'll take the time to read her two-part blog post for Wazell, Black Female in America, which is linked here and in the show notes. I really enjoyed this chat and hoping you all will too, and I am so excited to continue following her journey. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Angel Piccarello, welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's great to have you on. I heard your uh, your pod with Laura and you two were great together. Thank you. That was so much fun. She's awesome. Yeah, that was an excellent episode. So what's <laughs> what's been going on with you? How are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, as well as we can. I think we're taking a day at a time, um, but just still training, doing my thing as well as we can. I'm in Philadelphia, so... We actually just found out, I think, yesterday that we were supposed to move into the green phase on July 3rd, which was problematic in and of itself on July 3rd to move into the green phase on July 4th. But um, now I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're trying to kind of roll things back a little bit because of what's going on across the country and especially in the South on the East Coast. So um, things are still kind of closed. They're not really trying to move forward quite yet, which I'm happy with because it's a little bit out of control in some parts of the country. So um, yeah, just in the house on like semi-quarantine with my fiance, we have a dog and we're just doing our thing. <laughs> it's you, Patrick and Bailey rolling in yes. Philly yes. and <laughs> you're, almost, you're, you're almost a code green. I have no idea what color we are in New York. Don't ask me questions like that or I'll just fail right off the bat. But <laughs> no. <laughs> um, for, for the Run Chats audience, could you do like a little intro for you on everything in this way they'll get to know you a little bit before we, uh, before we dive in here? Of course, yes. So my name is Angel Piccarillo. I am 26. I went to, I'm from Homer City, Pennsylvania, which is like an hour-ish outside of Pittsburgh. So Western Pennsylvania. Um, my parents still live there. And I went to Villanova University out of high school, ran there under a scholarship on the track and field and cross country team. Um, 
And then I'm stayed in Philadelphia. So Villanova is like 30, 40 minutes outside of Philadelphia, outside of city center. Um, and then I moved closer to the city and started training with a group here in Philadelphia. Um, and yeah, I'm adopted. Um, my parents adopted me when I was like six to nine months old. So a baby. Um, and like I said, we lived in that kind of really small town. So Homer city, the population's like 1200 people. So really small, really rural. Um, <laughs> definitely Trump country. If I can say that it was, it was, it's an interesting dynamic <laughs> there. Um, I love a lot of those people and they like raised me and made me the person that I am. But at the same time, it, it presented complications for me and my family. Um, being a biracial woman adopted by two white parents. Um, yeah, but I specialize mostly running wise in the 1500. Um, but I did, like I said, I did cross country in college, do the 800, four by fours, did the 100 meter dash in high school. Like we, we were doing it all. <laughs> um, and I'm engaged to Patrick Tiernan. He's a fellow professional athlete for Nike Australia. We met at Villanova. Um, actually didn't date while we were there, but dated after college. And now we're engaged um, living here in Philly. And our wedding was supposed to be in August but it is postponed to next year. <laughs> so that has been one of our recent situations to handle. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's a lot. Um, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> big intro. That's the, I like that though. I like big intros because I could get lost so easily anyway, even if something is simple and we're only, you know, we're putting out a few things, but now I'm really lost. But so really, I mean, what do you have like one stoplight in town or that's, that's my God, it's like super small. Okay. We had one and we lost it and it turned into a four-way stop. It was like our thing. At least we had a stoplight, whatever. And then they decided we didn't need it. And it's a four-way stop now. So we don't even have one stoplight in town, which ugh, it's fine. But and it wasn't necessary, but it just felt good to have at least one. And now we don't. <laughs> and, then it, and then it was taken from you. Yes, it was. Wow. Sadly. And that it had to be a big day. That I, I have no doubt. <laughs> I mean, no question about it. It probably made the local paper for sure. Oh my gosh. Probably front cover. <laughs> and it's got to be Steeler country and football city, oh right? Oh my gosh. We are football city, Steeler country for sure. We don't even have like Pittsburgh doesn't have a professional basketball team. So we are very much football and Steelers for life. So I'm not... I have not jumped on the bandwagon for Phillies teams over here. I support the Eagles. They won. I love that. But also, I'm a Steelers fan. So, <laughs> Okay. So you're, you're good. You're good there. I'm good. I'm neutral here. But I, in my heart, I know I'm a Steelers fan. But I need to keep it a little bit low here because Eagles fans are not very receptive oh, to no. the other side, oh, especially no. Pitt. Pennsylvania. So <laughs> I keep it to myself, <laughs> but we have a terrible towel in our apartment. So <laughs> I was going to say, you definitely got to, you got to keep that definitely in the background a little bit. Those Eagle <laughs> yeah. fans are like hardcore. Well, Steeler fans. I mean, the NFL fans are really, it doesn't, it don't, doesn't get any more hardcore, right? No, I mean, it does not. And the, the lines are, are cut and dry, you know, they and are. then we have you're that in, in <laughs> New York, New Jersey, you have giants jets. And a lot of it depends on, did you grow up in Long Island? Did you grow up in Connecticut, New Jersey, New York? And and all that. And it's just so fierce. And the same thing with the baseball teams, Yankees, Mets, yes, you know, yeah, and then Rangers you and you have your hockey yes, teams and you mix yeah. them in and it, yeah. it's, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. So yes, it is. <laughs> well, that's there. There's so much in the rest of your intro there. So we'll definitely, um, we'll get into all of it at some point. So let, let's just start with the basics, like growing up, like in, in such a small town like that. Um, obviously it's rural, 
it's yeah. kind of one traffic light. I'm thinking, yes. you know, there's probably not a lot of black people around. You're probably, no, you, it's no. you and uh, I'm thinking, thinking, I'm the only one around, right? <laughs> yeah, there's me, one or two, you know them well, you got like, it's, it's known. It's not, it's not, it's just not a diverse and not even just there aren't black people. There's not anybody, any minority, really. Like you're dealing with 98, 99% white and then 1% of like mixed whatever else, you know, at, at most. So it, it, there's just, it wasn't a diverse area, I will say. <laughs> so how did, how did, did you notice that right away as a kid? I mean, do you feel that as a kid? Because obviously as a white person, you're not going to feel that, but certainly you, you were going to, but how, how did it feel from your side? Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting because like I said, I was adopted at like six or eight months. So baby, baby. And I was raised in this my entire life. So I think there's a part of you that realizes that you're different. And my parents are very open with that. They're both teachers. Um, and they both worked with like children with special needs. So I think they were very aware of like, they have, I think they both have really high um, emotional intelligence. So I think they try to be really cognizant of, okay, we are in a rural area, a really small town, not a lot of diversity, and we're raising a biracial girl, woman. So, and we're white. Our families are all white. Our town is all white. Our school is all white. Like, she's going to be all white people all the time, pretty much. So, like, how do we need to be careful about that? So, I think there's a part of me that was aware that I was different. And um, my parents, I mean, there's not really a way you can keep that hidden. Like, I don't, <laughs> we're different. But at the same time, I think growing up in that environment, it wasn't like there wasn't like a culture shock piece where like I come from a different background and then I'm just like immersed in, in all everywhere I look is whiteness. So I think part of that also made it easier for me because the kids like because of the town being small and the, the school being really small, my graduating class was like 65. Wow. I was with those kids. Yeah. And it's not private. It's a public school. Wow. Um, but I was with those kids from kindergarten until you're a senior. So I think part of that as well, they knew me forever. And I think you can kind of work through or break through some of that black, white, when this is just someone you've known forever. And not that they don't see race, because that's nonsense and not true. But I think there's a part of you that doesn't feel threatened by at least in particular Angel, because I've known her for my whole entire life. We've done everything together. I've seen her grow. You know what I mean? She's been around me for so long. So I think that being said, if someone had moved into my town as a 10-year-old, a 15-year-old, whatever, at a different stage in life with my skin color or darker, it would. it's really, really hard. It's a really hard adjustment. And I think I think there's a lot of people that just don't understand. And I think they're good intentioned, but at the same time there has to be a level of awareness that you possess. And I, I don't think a lot of people had that just because it wasn't, it's not in your face. You're not dealing with it every day. You've never been exposed to it. So I think a lot of people would fall into that category of like civil rights movement ended 50, 60 years ago. We're good. Like we did it. And now, and, and that reality is no longer in our faces. So everything's fine. And I think that that was something that I had to learn later in life, which was like, oh, we are not, everything is not fine. Like it may seem fine in these little small pockets and look really different, especially like as I was growing up, it was not Trump as a president. It was different men who maybe didn't lean so much into our divisions and hate. So I think it was a little bit easier in that regard as well. But 
yeah, it was difficult. Long story short, it was definitely difficult, but I think it was, it was made easier because I had been there my whole entire life. I didn't know anything else. I didn't feel like I was missing out on something that I had before per se. Um, but as you become more aware, you're like, okay, I want to have a better understanding of like where I come from and like where people like me come from and how we got to this point in the United States. Um, yeah. And did your mom and dad, I mean, since you're being raised by two white parents, did they, did they talk to you about race at all? Particularly, I would think it's almost unusual because you really don't have any other black kids around. Like, yeah. so I wonder, did they even talk to you about it at all? Yeah, they did. And I think, I think they did, but I think they also fell under the umbrella of a lot of educated, kind white Americans who were like, like I said, like, we're okay. Like we're, we're moving forward. We're progressing. And, you know, we've done a lot. Like my parents are in their seventies. So like they lived through the civil rights movement. They were a part of all of these things. Like they, my mom was living in DC when, or was in DC when uh, Martin Luther King gave one of his most famous speeches. So like I feel like they lived through that and then saw the other side. And so they were like, oh, okay. Like we have to discuss race, but I think there's more of a historical context to it versus a real life. This is still happening to this day. And you need to be aware of that context. But I think that through some of my experiences growing up in the town that I grew up in, it the conversation was pushed to the forefront. Um, there were definitely people in the town that I grew up in that were felt strongly against two white people raising a black daughter or a black person living in their space at all, um, which caused us to move from where we lived outside of town, kind of closer into town. Mind you, it's like three miles. Like (laughs) this isn't like, (laughs) this town is small. So you're moving from kind of one into another, but it's not that far, but still just like the proximity to more people and kind of getting out of the fringe of our own town um, was something that we had to do in that conversation obviously had to take place between me and my parents explaining to me why we were leaving our home and why we're moving to a different place and just allowing me to be aware of like if you do end up in a situation where someone is saying something like this or you're feeling this way or someone's pointing out your the color of your skin all these things like be aware of that and that's a situation that you need to be prepared to handle and also find help, like do something. Don't sit in that because that could end up being a dangerous situation for you. Yeah. I think, um, there's, there's such a blind spot, um, for people. Um, and I can totally confess to having it, you know, I've got plenty of black friends. Um, and I had no idea any of them might be struggling with any of this stuff. Not at all, not even a possible hint, um, that any of this unrest, um, was part of their lives like every day. Um, certainly I've known just cause having grown up, um, in a town that was very diverse, um, I knew that the people that I grew up with who became cops, you know, there are a lot of great cops out there, men, women, every race, every diverse group, a lot of great ones out there. They're there to protect and serve. They're there to do great things, but man, there's some serious need of reform and it's like so overdue. And as a police officer, you know, they have a hard enough job as it is. And to approach people that maybe have mental health issues or other things, they're not skilled or in a position to be able to handle those situations. And they are the ones that quickly go awry. And all of a sudden, there's not one or two officers there. There's 14 or 20 of them. And things escalate. And the next thing you know, a guy in a Wendy's drive-thru who's 
you know, sleeping off being drunk is dead. And I can say firsthand as a white person, and anybody who doesn't believe this, who's a white friend of mine, and we probably can't be friends anymore. <laughs> if you think that that was a white person driving that car who fell asleep, was drunk, oh, no. that that outcome no. would have ended anything like that if they were black, you know, um, they were white. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, sorry. That's not true. You're kidding. Okay. Because yeah. trust me, it probably would have went down with, oh, call Phyllis and get her down here to pick her a man laugh. up yeah. and, you know, and, or get uh -huh, him an Uber him. or yes. somebody move his car. And it just, yeah. um, it breaks your, it breaks your heart. So, it does. um, but in fairness, you know, to me, my world with my friends is focused a lot on running. I'm traveling around the world. I'm running marathons. I work hard, you know, during the day. My son's in college. I've never seen like that kind of pain or experience because I don't have to go through that extra inspection. I don't have to worry about being followed by a police officer when I'm driving my car. I don't have to worry if I'm running through a neighborhood like Ahmaud Arbery. Um, in fact, I was listening to Knox Robinson's podcast with Rich Roll, which was almost two hours long. And I was running uh, a marathon on Monday night for Bubba Wallace. And, you know, I'm in Central Park and I can't even begin to tell you how late it was, how dark it was, how there wasn't yeah. another human being in sight, but never at any moment, not at any second did I ever get nervous like, oh God, my life could be in danger. Oh God, something might happen to me. I mean, I was questioning what the hell I was doing out what there, I, Angel. What like, what the hell am I doing running another yeah. marathon? I'm going to kill myself. That was like yeah. number nine in nine weeks. But that's, yeah. a, that's a story for another day. This is your podcast. This isn't mine. Um, but my safety... You know, it, honestly, not only when I finished the run, and you have you run in Central Park? I mean, I know. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. So we have the bridal path, which kind of surrounds the reservoir, which is oh, okay. a pretty famous, you know, kind of the center of the park, if you will. Yeah. And I stash my bottles in there because it's really the most heavily brushed area with grass and you can get in there. The problem is once it gets dark, it's really dark. I mean, yes. it's completely dark. Like you can't see, you know, two feet in front of you. And I had to go back to pick up my bottles and my stash of stuff. And I'm telling you that I could not see. I could not see, even with my phone fully on. Yes. I couldn't see more oh, than a no. foot in front of me. So no, I'm just saying like, <laughs> that's when it hit me. Because Knox was talking about uh, how running is like an act of rebellion. Just the act of running. Just it's, it's something that we do to show that we're free. Like go yeah. and run and be yeah. free and get outside. And, you know, Born to Run is one of my favorite books. I mean, it goes all the way back to the beginning of time of hunting and men having to go out and hunt and gather food and do all the other stuff. And the idea of not being safe, um, it's just, it, it hurts me on a really deep level as a human that that could happen. And to see that video and to watch that stuff, it's, yeah, it's, and just, it comes from not being free. Like you said, running is an expression of being free and it, we're just not in a place where black people are free right now. We just aren't free. And I think that there are a lot of white people that fortunately, like you were talking about, have had the privilege of like, I can run and I've just never felt in danger. And I think that there's layers to that. Like being a male is one piece, being white is another piece. So I think that that also plays into it. But I just feel like personally myself, especially after Ahmad. Aubrey was murdered after that you're like wow not only am I a black person which makes puts me at risk but I'm also a black woman and I think that there's I mean every other day like if I'm not I run a lot with my fiance Pat so when I'm running with him I don't get bothered but if I'm running by myself and like you said it's 90 degrees I'm in a sports bra and shorts or something I'm constantly getting catcalled guys are yelling at me honking at me staring at me and you're like 
wow, it's broad daylight, <laughs> but that doesn't matter. Like you guys are just out here acting crazy. Like I, I, my body is for anything and you can do whatever you want and it's just fine. And I think that I've struggled with that recently a lot. Like I said, post a mod. Cause I'm like, that happened to him midday in the, in a neighborhood broad. Like there was no cover of night in a, a dark corner. Nobody could have helped him. You know, that type of situation. It was just two racist guys with a gun who said, I don't care. I, I've earned this. I deserve this. I can do this. And so now on these runs where I'm by myself, even in Philadelphia, where I feel comfortable to a degree, it's like, wow, you're just really, it's hard to find a space where you truly feel like you're safe or you're free because that's just not the the dynamic of the United States at this moment. Well, that's well said and be careful out there. Um, I tell every single female runner I know to be careful out there. I don't care what age they are. I don't care if they're younger, older, in between. It's just not, it isn't safe. It, it should be, but the truth is it's not. Not to go run in a, I have friends that I follow on Instagram and I see them posting these 30 mile trail runs or ultra runners. And I'm like, you're running at sunrise, okay? You're what? posting all these pictures on the top of like this desolate area. Yes. Like like anybody on planet Earth could see that you're posting these things like with some regularity at, in the morning before there's even any light. Like yeah. it wouldn't a crazy person, a yeah. nut, and there's no. plenty of them in this there world right now. Yes. So just, just, be, just be careful. Um, be careful out there and make sure, you know, you get your man to go with you yes. so he can take care of the cat yes. calls or, you know, <laughs> yeah. you guys are faster than everybody else. So I know, you know, you're both, yeah, you're yeah. both like Olympic caliber. So, uh, and I think I'm pretty sure he's qualified, uh, for yes. Australian Olympics, but we're, yes. we'll be all over the highway here. As you can see with the conversation, <laughs> yeah. there's no order, but yeah, you guys could run and you could catch anybody, maybe even a car. Um, but yes. you know, still catching them still, may not be good though. You know I mean? No, that may not end not well. Just judge. And I'm they, strong, but I'm only so strong and I'm loud, but I'm only so loud. And like when you kind of take all those things away and let a lot of weapon comes into play, like in a mod situation, it's just like, wow, this is it. And like, that's it. That's the end of my story, you know? So it's, it's just, that was definitely an eye opening instance. Cause I think we have those moments where you feel kind of uneasy where I have for sure felt unsafe and especially running around at home in a rural area by myself, which my parents hated. And I hated, I got so mad at them in high school. Cause I'd be like, just let me run. I'm fine. But now I'm like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I understand. <laughs> um, but yeah, running around in a rural area by yourself on back roads, oh, which God. is what I did all through high school. You have an uneasiness and a fear of just you know, an awareness of your surroundings generally, but it, it, I don't think you allow it to cross your mind that someone could literally pull over and just murder you on the street. Like that was a whole new level of, wow, that is actually what could happen and what people are capable of in this day and age. And it's something that like, like I said, it was just eyes, eye opening, shocking, heartbreaking, all of those things. But just like, there is no limit to like, kind of what you can be afraid of and like what could realistically happen to you if a hateful person is in your vicinity with a weapon like it's just it was definitely something that I was like wow I that wasn't even something I entertained before like maybe someone messes with me or throws something or yells that type of thing but that was a whole other level so I feel like like you said it's just about being safe and like trying to do the best you can and be smart about things but at the same time like also, we don't want to, I don't want to live in fear. I'm also not going to stop running. Like this is, I have a right to run and I just like anybody else has a right to run. So you're just constantly walking that line of like how to do things that you have a right to do, but also being aware that there are a lot of people that don't believe you have that right, or you should have that right. 
which is complicated. It is complicated. Um, and I just think it's one of those things, hopefully people have like some sort of a sixth sense. Like I just always did when I was a kid, when we grew up, we went to the park all day and all night. We didn't have any phones. Yeah. I mean, I grew up a yeah. hundred years ago, like your parents, you know, <laughs> like my, my older brother was a year older than me. He was in charge of me. Like, like, That's it. like that was <laughs> the rules. Need. Okay. Your yeah. older brother will watch him. Okay. All right. It's that fine. sounds fair, I guess. Okay. Yeah. What time do you have to come back? Uh, come back after dark. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Ride our See bikes then. to the park. It seemed like it was 20 miles away. It was probably like a mile away, but yeah. it seemed like 20 miles away. You're doing and, something. You know, my mom yeah. would be like, okay, who's going to go get milk from the store? And we all look at each other. What? You just got back from the park all day. Okay, you, you're the fastest. You're, you're going. I'm like, what? Yeah. It's pitch black out there. I'm not going. I was like this big, She's a little like, kid. Bye. And I'm telling you, man, I would run, Angel, I would run like it was 100 yards. I would catch a football like I was at the goal line. And I would make a move like I'm running back from the end zone. I'm like, cut here, there. I go yeah. the whole way. My lungs were coming out of my chest. I get there. I wait. I get my air. I get the milk. Get it in the brown paper bag and run back. But I, I, but that's how you learn. Like in my mind, that's how you learn. Like if, you know, people start following you or, you yeah. know, some people start looking at you funny with your bike or something, you like, you know, it's the only way you learn when you're a kid, like kids that are yeah. going to screw with you or take your stuff. Yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> right. But this is different now. This is different now, man. Other, yeah. We're talking a whole other world of stuff. Nobody yes. wants to take my milk or my bike, you know, no. you're yes. going to shoot you. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. so yeah, but, uh, Wow. Um, it's been, it's been crazy times, but I want to jump back to, you know, going back to your high school days with sports. I know you played a lot of sports as a young kid. Um, you were literally involved with everything. Um, <laughs> but how did you, you know, walk me through that a little bit, tell tell the run chats listeners a little about your introduction to sports and how that was for you. Yeah. So I, I do, I did virtually any sport that I could get my hands on. I played soccer until I was like, four maybe it was like the you're picking flowers soccer sitting kids are sitting in the grass like I love you just it. sprint to the ball that is yeah. my extent of soccer um because like once again small high school small town you're not going to get every sport at your school so soccer wasn't offered at like through my school um so that kind of ended when I was younger but then from when I was younger to pretty much sixth grade I was doing gymnastics cheerleading swimming basketball um so those are my big ones. And I like, I loved gymnastics. I loved cheerleading, tumbling, all that stuff. So the cheer Netflix documentary that came out like a couple months ago, I was obsessed. You were <laughs> on like, it. Oh, in another life. Yeah. That you were all made. in baby. <laughs> yes, Front 100%, row. Yes. Um, but anyway, yeah. And then I got to high school, which seventh through 12th high school, I guess we can say middle school. Um, and I started, I was still playing basketball for a couple of years got into volleyball, loved, loved, loved volleyball. So I feel like if I wasn't running right now, I would have tried to go to college and play volleyball for sure. Um, but got into running like ninth grade maybe. Um, and then from there, like in ninth grade, I did outdoor track, got hooked 10th grade, cross country, indoor, outdoor committed to everything. And then from there, um, went on, but I guess, yeah, ninth grade into 10th grade is kind of where all of those other sports, eventually went to the wayside and I committed full time to running, but it was hard. It was a hard decision to make. I missed those other sports. I missed some of those team aspects that you aren't able to get in track, particularly, like I said, small school, once again, you're not doing a lot of team. You're not going to state me as a team. You're not trying to win team titles at certain places, like maybe at the conference level um, at most, but yeah, it, I just, I could see I had a really good high school coach. He was amazing. Um, and I feel like he saw in me the potential to go forward and do this at a really elite level. So, um, 
that's how I ended up running. And that was it. Well, that's a great, I, I think it's really important um, for kids, uh, particularly nowadays, to be well-rounded. Um, there's such a, 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 there's so much inertia to, to specialize and kids immediately, you know, my son's a pianist, composer, but he loved that. I mean, he'd pitch a baseball game, 90 degrees, the eye black would be dripping off of him. He'd yeah. kick his two spikes in the air and he would go downstairs <laughs> and play the piano for three hours with his uniform on. Like, like. I know kids like parents who are like, my son doesn't want to play piano. And I'm like, okay, you just said he doesn't want to play piano. What are you, yeah. why are you asking me and about so, this? Yeah, he doesn't want to play. End. Yeah, <laughs> Like that's, that's simple. It doesn't, <laughs> yeah. it, the rest yes. of the story doesn't need to go it, on any no, further. No, it doesn't. But, I completely you know, agree. So, so that was his, like, you could just sense that, that he loved that. He was terrific in sports. He still runs baseball, all kinds of stuff. But, but that was like, that's, that's real love. That's like deep yes, and in the is. soul, you know, kind of passion so you that just has but that doesn't come out just by forcing somebody no, like you okay, you're gonna play the violin all the time no you you have to have that well-rounded approach and then at some point you know you're, you're doing volleyball you're doing softball you know you're you're doing cheering you know you're doing swimming you're doing all this stuff and you might be like hey i suck in this okay but i'm actually really good in this or yeah hey, you know, i'm not so great in that yeah then yeah. all of a sudden you're running and you're like hey man i'm actually good at this like, and i can compare i know i'm good because i saw that i was bad at yeah. that and this feels different yes. to me <laughs> yes like i may have been the worst softball player on the team but now i'm a kick-ass but i exactly. really kick I was so bad at softball oh <laughs> I sorry i didn't too. even know who knew I but <laughs> not my sport remember i was a college baseball player so somehow i just knew i you know no, i must have I known have respect for that because softball was not my game at all <laughs> but like you said I think you just learn so much and like even now obviously I'm a professional athlete runner so that's what I do but when I cross train I'm like oh I know how to swim because I used to swim and like if I need to do exercises in the gym or some weight training type things I'm athletic enough to pick things up and I think all of that comes from the fact that I did 101 other sports growing up and didn't specialize, if you will, until I was like 14, 15 years old. And so I've seen so many benefits throughout my strictly running career from doing those other sports that have given me such an advantage, I think, um, that I wouldn't have had. Like if I hadn't swam all growing up, like I wouldn't be able to cross train as hard as I can as, as like efficiently as I'm able to do. And like I said, other exercises and things I wouldn't, I just don't think I'd be able to pick things up as easily as I can. Um, I think there's a piece of being like physical and being able to like get into a race and handle the race and the crowd that you're in and what you're trying to navigate while you're doing something that's really hard that comes from playing other more contact sports. So, um, yes. Oh my gosh. Don't specialize in anything. And <laughs> running is hard. So like I think about if I had started running when I was like four years old, some people do it and it's not a problem, but it would have been really, really hard for me to make it to 26 and be like, I still love this. That being said, it's possible my fiance, Pat, started running when he was like five, I think, or six. He was really young and he's been running forever. That being said, he also played cricket and he was really involved in other sports that he like loved with his whole heart. So I think you can start things young, but just like let your your kids find their way and like they'll find where they belong for sure. They definitely will. And I think that the exposure to team sports is just, it's an invaluable thing. It Whether is. you learn it how is. to win and lose as a team and you, uh, you don't have to like losing, man. I hated losing more than anything. And I'd be like telling kids on my team, what, you better, what do we know? know? Let's go. What are <laughs> yeah. we doing over here? Like, and it doesn't take anything to get me fired up. I'm like, what the, 
you're not even paying attention to the game. Let's go. You know, but you, when you lose, you, you have to learn how to be a good loser. Like, you know, want to beat the hell out of them. You give us another chance. Let's play right, play another game right exactly. now. Let's go, let's play exactly. a double header or let's run, let's race again or whatever the sport is. But, but you learn so much about life by adversity, by losing and by being on a team and realizing, Bouncing Hey, back, resiliency. you need to be strong together. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, so growing up, you, you talked about one, one of the high school coaches there saw something in you. Would you consider him like a mentor to you or some, he believed in you, this person? Cause yeah. I, I love that dynamic. I like to know how early somebody found a mentor or somebody who really believed in them and, and had an influence on somebody in, in yes. their life. Yeah. So I definitely, I mean, my parents are, were and are always going to be my biggest fans. Like yeah. my mom, anyone who knows my mom, she's like the biggest hype woman. My dad is obsessed. They just are obsessed with me, which is in a positive way. But they've always believed in anything. Like if I went home and I was like, I'm going to be an astronaut, they're like, all right, yep. let's get in. NASA, they're sewing a NASA yeah. patch on your jacket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're moving done. to Houston. We're, yeah. we're going Whatever down. Whatever it takes. Okay. Yes. So to be fair, but he definitely was the first one that had, my parents aren't athletes. Um, so he was the first one that saw this specifically in me and was like, we can, we can work with this and we can do this. And if you allow me to help you grow in this sport, and if you're willing to commit to this full time, like it's, it is going to take a lot of your time and you're going to have to give up some of those other passions that you've had sport wise. Um, we could, we could really do something. And I think he, yes, he definitely became, he was a strict coach. He was hard, but definitely a mentor. And then as I graduated a friend who just like, got to know me really well. And I think the dynamic that we had was also really important to me because I just didn't have a lot of other people in my life who liked running that much, which to be fair, I get it. But my track team wasn't super serious. Like my cross country team, we had like maybe six or seven girls, five or six boys, like just these people who were not necessarily like I'm a diehard runner, but like I'm just not playing football or I'm not playing softball or baseball in the spring. So I guess I'll do this, you know, like there's a requirement, but I guess I'll just like join the track team. Everybody's been on a track team or a cross country team in their life, you know? So, um, having him as somebody who is like, no, I'm going to help you. I'm going to keep pushing you and we're going to work hard and that's okay. And I'm going to stay in this fight with you, um, was so important to me and I'm going to build your confidence up and you can go. Cause I think there was a part of me also that was like, okay, I'm from this really small town. I don't have a lot of exposure to some of this stuff. And I have not been immersed in the running world or culture for my, a lot of my life. But, um, I think it gave me a lot of confidence to then go to like, in particular, like the state meet for Pennsylvania indoors is there's no division. So my school is technically now a single a school, but at the time I was in high school, it was double a, cause there wasn't a single a small school division. Um, but at the state meet indoors, everybody's together. There's no single A, double A, triple A. You're just all kind of tossed into one because it's not PIAA. So that, for example, was one of the first big meets I went to that I was like, "Ooh, I'm racing girls from schools that are way bigger than mine, you know, who have family legacies in this sport, who really understand and have been doing it, like I said, since they were five or six years old. And I'm kind of coming in wide-eyed and bushy-tailed ready to go, but also like, wow, I really don't know if I can do this. A lot of those self-doubts came in. So he was someone who was always like, no, you you belong here, you can do this and like, keep doing this. And I think I, I, I kind of alluded to it before, but there was also a piece that I don't know if I was as aware of at the time, but there were also not a lot of people that looked like me doing the things that I was doing within running and track. Um, like I said, I was doing the mile 
but I was also doing the 3K and I did cross country and I was really good at both of those things. But there weren't a lot of other black girls who were doing cross country for sure at a really high level or on the line of the 3K slash two mile, whatever. Um, it's just, it's not necessarily a, di- a diverse event in my experience. Um, so I think, I don't know if that was something I was able to articulate at the time, but I think just having somebody who was like just constantly reminding you, like, stay in it. You belong here. There's no reason why you can't do this. It doesn't matter. Like all those other kind of things, the periphery things that might go on in your head or that you're seeing that might eat away at your confidence. Don't let them because you belong here and you can do this. And I believe in you. And we've done X, Y, Z to prove to you, you can do this, you know, just that constant building up that I really needed at that time when I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm out here and I trust you. And I think that's like how I am as an athlete too. I'm definitely very trusting and a coach and I, um, I'm a big believer. I think I'm pretty coachable in that sense. So once I see I, I was somebody and I'm like, Oh, I can trust you. And you are, we're working through this together. Then if they say I can do it, I'm like, okay, locked in, All right, let's get it done. Um, and so I think I really benefited from that. It was hard for him though. We definitely went to a lot of meets where he's like, him and a couple other coaches or him and a friend of mine are like driving hours and hours and staying places and just trying to be really creative to give me opportunities. So I commend him and his family that <laughs> they gave him up for as much time as they did. Cause it was really hard, but um, I'm here now. So it definitely, it, it paid off for me and I will forever be grateful to him for that. That's awesome. What's his name? Yeah. Coach what? Michael Gentili. Michael. Well, we're going to have to link him up in the show notes for sure. We got to get Coach G some love because, (laughs) uh, you know, like it's those, it's those rides. Um, You can close your eyes. I know you can. I guarantee you can close your eyes and just put yourself right back in that back seat or the front seat and be like, you know, it's this long and you're just waiting and the nerves are going and am I going to be okay? And what's going to happen? And, you know, yeah, it's you, you're running, right. And they're taking you. And then you get there and then, like you said, it's upscale. All of a sudden, you're not in the smaller <laughs> school with, God, what did you say, 60 kids graduated? Like, yes. I mean, how did you feel the cross-country team? Like, you're running, <laughs> no, you're, running exactly. you're running, I'll run. Yeah, no, that's... you're on the team. Guess what? <laughs> yeah. You're showing up. Um, yes. But you show up at this meet and now, you know, you're competing against these bigger schools that have obviously been in that arena and, you know, facing off against each other, probably have better equipment, better gear, better facilities, better everything. And he believed in you. And it's the lesson of life. Um, your, your adoptive parents, you know, put that in you, being their biggest fans. Like if your kids know that their parents believe in them, they don't need two, they just one. It can be one. They can, it can even be an older sibling. It can be, you know, it can be another family member. It can be a cousin, but they gotta know if somebody really believes that you can do something, that there's so much power in that. And I try to tell my friends that all the time. Like if you don't believe in yourself, you're never going to succeed. That's my Goggins. That's my Goggins stuff because it's the man in the mirror, man. You're not racing all these other women in these events. You're racing yourself. I mean, yeah. yes, you are racing them and it's all a subset of your training. And of course. How does the cycle go and how are you feeling on that given day? And what did you eat and how much sleep <laughs> did you get? And all of that stuff. But you know what? It's really you. If you get on that line and you feel like you're ready to go and you feel like I can do this today, yes. your chances are a lot better. But when all that other stuff's going in there, yeah. when all the self-doubt's there, it is hard. Yeah, it's that's, we all know running yeah. is your demons are there and they're waiting to bring you down. And I think that's like my high school coach drilled that in me and my college coach, Gina Picaccio at Villanova was another one who was like, she just had so much belief in you. And it was like exactly what you're saying, where it's like you lined up and you're like, 
I like how I know I can do this. Like she told me I can do this. She told and now, me. Yeah. So like, why can't I, what do you mean? So I think it just creates such a limitless view for you to be like, okay, this person really believes in me and they're working with me every day and they see me every day and they know who I am and they're telling me I can do this. And I trust their word so much. Like I'm, I'm not going to not do it. Like I'm going to go out there and get it done because they believe that I can. And I believe that I can. And I think there's nothing there. Like you said, there's just nothing more important than believing in yourself. You can train as much as you want. And like, there's a lot of other little things that you can do, but if you don't show up to the line confident in your own ability and betting on yourself in a situation, that's, I mean, you've beaten yourself before you've gotten off the line. It's so important to have a strong mental, mental game, if you will, that like, that just prepares you to be successful. Um, yeah, I think that's, it's so invaluable. Well, it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, when yes. you, when you have yeah. parents that are, believe in you that strongly or a coach or a mentor, or a teacher, you know, it could be a, about a class or exam or anything else, you know, you got to go do a dissertation, whatever it is. And you have people that believe in you that strongly, it, it makes a big impact. It does. Um, and you need that. Everybody needs that. Everybody needs that. And uh, that's the value of, you know, being on a team and, and having people who believe in you because, you know, when you're not at your best, because we're not going to be at our best all the time and you're going to struggle, you know, they're, they're going to help pick you up and, you know, they're going to help you, you know, put it back together. If you didn't execute right, or you went out too hard, or I'm a distance runner, so I don't really have, <laughs> I don't really have to worry about the problems you all have when you're blitzing these crazy times yeah. at 800 or, you know, God knows. You have your own problems. Uh, uh, let's yeah. keep that Oh yeah, I yeah. can't we, imagine. Trust me, that's like a whole other episode. But it is. Yeah. Um, so going back to, um, you know, role models, coaches, all that stuff. How about any, did you have any like hero athletes growing up, somebody that you just like were so interested in or paid attention to, or, or maybe not an athlete, maybe somebody else? I'm trying to think, I feel like as I, so I feel like when I was younger, I was really into, like I talked about a little bit, I was really into volleyball. So I was really into, um, Misty May, Trainer, and Carrie Walsh. Yes. I think they were the duo they, in the United were. States. They were beach volleyball. Yeah. Yes, love, they love, were, love them. And I it. feel like, yeah, they were amazing. And I think that they were people that I looked up to, which is like kind of random, but I was just super into volleyball. I'd never seen really or, or played beach volleyball. So I was like, this is incredible. And that's kind of like the next level, I guess the professional level of volleyball if you're not um, post-collegially. So I was super into them. I feel like every Olympic cycle, you're finding your people that you, you're kind of really into. Um, I think as I also, as I came through high school and then was looking towards colleges, I, who she's like now one of my best friends and we were teammates, but I was obsessed with Emily Lapari. I just loved her so much, <laughs> which as a New Yorker, I, you would know Emily. Um, but yeah, she was another one that as I was looking at colleges, I was like, ah, I'm, Emily's so cool. She's so fast. She's <laughs> awesome. She's so nice. Like I would love to be a teammate with her one day. And then I obviously that, that came true. And now she's one of my closest friends, but I feel like there were those more so kind of those people in high school that popped up that I was like, wow, if I could just do like what they're doing. That would be incredible. Or like Chanel Price was a really good um, Pennsylvania athlete that went on to run at UT and now she's professional. But another one who was like, wow, that's insane. Like if I could just do what she's doing, that would be incredible. You know, those types of things. So I feel like I kind of gravitated towards, I had my big superstar Olympic level athletes, but then I feel like I gravitated a lot towards those people who were like, 
you're here and they're like here, like one step above you, but they're still real. I think those people were like, I, I think I really looked up to a lot of those athletes as I was growing up, especially in running. Cause I didn't really know professional running was even a thing when I was in high school. I like just did not understand I, the Olympic. I was a person that's like the Olympics come every four years. We love these people, but then they just go dormant. They just and disappear. Then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Four years later, they show back <laughs> up and we watch them. So there wasn't, I don't think I had a connection to, I definitely didn't have a connection to professional track. And I think just coming from where I came from, even collegiate track, I just didn't have a great understanding of it until I got, you know, junior, senior in high school. And then I understood, but, um, so there weren't as many running idols, I guess, that I could identify, but other sports, it was a lot easier to find those people. I mean, I mean, I even growing up though, Alison Felix, I thought she was amazing. She's still amazing. Um, an incredible woman. So I, I looked up to her for sure. Um, but yeah, I feel like I, I picked and choose from different sports and just people I could kind of see some of um, myself in, and I appreciate greediness, hardworking, that type of thing. So, um, definitely gravitated towards that. I would say. I think it's cool. Like even all the way back in high school, aspirationally, you know, you're watching these other really top runners, you know, that yeah. had achieved really great things. And so your mindset, you were already working on your mindset at that point. You're already obviously very goal driven. You're obviously incredibly competitive because there's no one that I meet through running that achieves what you're achieving already at such a young age who isn't incredibly competitive. There's inward, there's outward, there's, we all have our different personality styles, but you got to have a real fire to be good at something like this, to be a competitive distance runner, middle distance runner, long distance runner, whatever you have to, you have to have a real fire um, because it, that alarm clock rings. Um, yeah. The second run comes, you know, <laughs> yes, the niggles, yes, things are hurting, yes. you know, all of the things that happen to us in the dynamic. And, and now we're in COVID times, right? So let's not forget about that. In addition to all the racial stuff that we're, that we're going through and we're, and we're taking on, um, it's just hard. It's hard enough to train because we're, we're creatures of habit. We're, we're trained to get ready for a race, for a meet, to go run in pen relays, to go, you know, run in your college four by eight, you know, relay, and you're going to try to kick ass and, and come out on top and win the NCAAs. <laughs> so like, we're yeah. all peaking and getting ready for something and all of those, some things are gone. So, are. <laughs> Quickly, um, they went yeah, away. <laughs> they, went, they went away. But I think it just shows a lot about your personality that you're already like looking at those kind of athletes and role models and what they were achieving, what their numbers were, what kind of times they were running and saying, hey, I maybe I should go to Tennessee or maybe I'll go to Villanova and, like Emily. Or And I, I think it's interesting because it, tell, it tells me a lot about a person. So you're already like putting those kind of bars out there for yourself, even if you didn't even think about it at the time, like, hey, if I run this, I can go there. Or if I do this, I can achieve what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that, that's pretty cool. So that's, that's how Villanova, I'm, you know, obviously you ended up going to Villanova, but yes. <laughs> um, those are, those are the schools like in high school, I mean, you were doing some pretty awesome stuff in high school. I mean, you, you had some, you had some pretty big moments in high school. So tell, tell everybody a little bit about what, you know, your high school career was like before you headed off to Villanova. Yeah. Yeah. So I, like I said, I started in ninth grade and like started outdoor track and then, um, but by the time I left, I, I think I had won cross country two or three, two times my junior and senior year. And like I said, that was, I was in uh double a, my school, everything I did was in double a, uh, cross country and outdoor. And then, uh, indoor, we were all combined. So there's only one champion. Um, and then indoors, I, I think I'm, maybe won the mile twice, won the 3K my senior year. Um, and then outdoors, 
I, we dabbled in some relays. Actually, we were managed, we managed to get a four by eight to States a couple times for my high school, but that wasn't um, easy. It was not easy. <laughs> then it was hard because I often was in a position where I had to make a choice of either like running, running to get our high school relay into the final at States or, you know, onto a podium potentially versus focusing on my own events and trying to win and, and, um, delegate my energy that way. So that was always hard, but outdoors, I predominantly did the mile, uh, or 1600 and 800. Um, but I won 10 state titles by the time I was done. Um, and I had run high, 10 high school, 10, 10 high school state championships. Yeah. Um, and then I won pen relays twice, which was always <laughs> like the craziest experience going to pen relays in high school, especially coming from where I came from, then being just yeah. dropped into that yeah. a school with oh. 60 kids in the graduating class and you won pen relays twice that like, that doesn't belong in the same sentence. It no, really doesn't. And it was, it's that was crazy. the one that would like break me. My coach would be like, you need to calm down. <laughs> but I was like crying before I went to go into the pad because I'm so nervous oh my god that p- place I love it now it's like my second home but oh some real pre-race anxiety happened there um but and I ran 439 209 um and I think the 3k 950 something by the time I graduated um I won Gatorade athlete of the year a couple times for Pennsylvania um yeah, that was pretty much it. I'd say went to the Dream Mile, got second. Um, that was my highest finish. I got second at Indoor Nationals, my highest finish, and then Foot Locker um, for cross country at Nationals. I think I was like in the teens, just like scraped into All American. I think. Where was um, it? Where was it the year you ran? So I our regional meet was at Sunken Meadow. Um, okay. Which, yeah, Long Island. Uh, <laughs> so hard. <laughs> it's a tough course. <laughs> it's really hard, and I was fortunate to win my last year there. But oh my gosh, that course is hard. Yeah. No, no joke. Beast mode. Um, but yes, but then we went out to Balboa Park in California. Oh that yeah, was where San Diego. Yeah. 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 Gorgeous. Cool. So you got to go because I wasn't I wasn't sure back then if they were ho- doing it there. Now they've been doing it there for a pretty long time. But yeah, you know, yeah. But I think it yeah. was like still fairly newish, I guess, at that point, like that location. But oh my gosh, but most amazing experience. Once again, I'm like coming from Homer City, Pittsburgh, and then you're going out to San Diego getting and you're selling it. Yes, you're getting, the you're hotel bags. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh hey, God, just, this is I'm ready for this life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm in. Lavish. I'll take this. Like, this is the high life. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah so so that was pretty much my high school in a nutshell. Lots of lots and lots of ups and downs. But um, I think by my senior year, my coach and I were very much like, okay, what are we trying to get done this year? Like, Angel, what do you want to accomplish? And one of my big things was just like, I want to be all American in cross country. Um, I'd gone to Foot Locker my junior year and did terribly. So I was like, I need to come back and like, we can fix this. Um, and indoors and outdoors, I was trying to win nationals. I was like, I've, I really feel like I've just not been able to perform generally at the national level. Like I, I'd done well to every step, the regional level, all that stuff. But then I would get to the national level and I just couldn't bring all the pieces together. So that was one of my big goals. Like I said, I got second indoor, second outdoor. So didn't get that accomplished. But um, we also set out to be like, I want to break 440. Like that is our goal this year. And I feel like that was one of those like times on the mirror that you write down and you're like, that is where I'm going. And I like, we're going to get there. And then by the end of my year, at senior year, I broke it and ran 439, which was huge for me at the time. Um, but yeah, so I Because you like, wrote it on the mirror. Yeah, that's why. It's, it's the, the truth. Reason. It's yeah. the truth. No, but it was. Every day, you're just like... <laughs> of course. Oh, those hard days. Or like cross there. country, which I wasn't like 
wasn't my favorite season, I'll say. <laughs> um, but it was just like, you have to do all of this to get to that point. And it's going to take this whole like very conscious year effort to get to that point. This is really hard. Not a lot of high school females had done that up until that point. So it's, it's not going to be easy, but like we, I believe that you, my coach, I believe that you can do it. And I'm like, I, okay, I think I can too. Let's do it. And we'll see. It wasn't something that I was like posting everywhere, but it was just like a quiet little, like, all right, we're trying to do this and we'll like, see how it, how it shakes out in the end. Well, running the cross country, um, probably made you really, really strong too. Um, it's also, you know, not just physically demanding, but mentally those courses are brutal. I mean, you run Van Cortland, you run Sunken Meadow, you run these courses. I don't, I don't know the courses out by you, you know, towards Philly, but, or, or towards Pittsburgh. Cause you weren't Hershey, in Philly then. Um, yeah. Me, oh, Hershey. It so okay. Hard. Yeah. Was it, was it hard? I don't, <laughs> so, I don't know. So I don't know yes, that course. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. I do know, I, you know, I've run at Van Cortland a lot cause my son ran there in high school and yeah, I still run there. I do long runs there all the time. I I love Van Cortland. Oh, <laughs> Van, Vanny is all about the pain. Vanny brings it the pain, is. and it's just but like Sunken Meadows on a joke. No, that no, no. So sunken, sunken Meadows. Hard. Oh my gosh, it's yeah. hard. It's so hard. Yeah, and there's Garrett, Garrett Mountain in New Jersey, Holmdel. There's a yeah, right. I, I, most most cross country courses are hard. Face they it, are, they just the are. Northeast, yeah. up here, we're they really are, grinding. They're yeah. really tough. Yeah, and then yeah. same thing. You know, college. You know, you don't. Yes. It doesn't yeah. exactly get easier. You know, when you go off to college, but. So it's it longer. Yeah, is what it gets. yeah, exactly. I'm um, sorry. You still have to run just as hard and kill yourself and you have to go, go further, longer. but don't yeah. worry. It's okay. Angel, you're in all, you'll you're running fine. in every single event yeah. and you'll be okay. Yeah, what? It'll work out. How come everyone else is only running in one event? Um, because you're the best no. girl on the team and you have to run everything. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. I'll sign up for that. Yes. So you, you crush high school, you do all this great stuff. Um, what was the college selection process like? I know you looked at a couple of schools before Villanova. Like, what was it like for you and what, what swayed you to, to make the choice to go to Villanova? Yeah. So I think early on, it was one of those things where once the, once college coaches can start reaching out to you, you're getting like the flood of letters and you're so excited. You're like, anything's possible. It's a candy store. Every day. Yeah. New letter. <laughs> and then like July 1st rolls around and they can start calling you. At least when I was a senior, like July 1st going into your senior years, when coaches could start calling you. Um, so you're like sitting by the phone, you're getting phone calls. You just feel like, Oh, whatever. You're like on top of the world thinking this is great. All this attention. But um, for me, I think I was, I was definitely not somebody who was married to, um, Pennsylvania or even the East Coast. I was very open to like wherever I'm going to end up, I'm fine with that. And like, I'm certainly not going to end up in Homer City or even Pittsburgh. So like, I'm very willing to spread out and terrible like, towel. So, stay home for a while. We're going. We're going on the road good. for four years. Yeah, exactly. I'll be back. <laughs> stay with mom and dad. We'll <laughs> yeah. see you in a little while. Exactly. Um. So definitely looked kind of all over the country in that regard. But then once it came to my official visits, I think my coach and I were just like, look as fun as it would be to take all five and do your thing, it's going to be really tiring and it's really hard. And you still have these goals that you've set out yourself to accomplish this year. And if you're traveling every weekend all over the country to do these visits, it's going to be really hard to get that done. So I think for us, it was like, all right, let's try to narrow it down to three. Um, and if obviously if you can't do that by all means, take your other ones. But I, I think we can funnel this kind of down to three schools, do those visits and then like crank this decision out early, whatever the September, October, November date is that you announce. Um, so I visited, um, UT, Tennessee, um, in Knoxville, uh, Villanova and Georgetown. So those were my three that we eventually kind of funneled it down to. Um, 
and they're Villanova and Georgetown are pretty similar, um, but Tennessee is definitely different. Um, so even like those visits, like Tennessee, I'm like on the football field, they have you right <laughs> on the line. You're like watching this huge hundred thousand seats stadium oh or something gosh. crazy. And they're like playing that. like Alabama, yeah. something crazy, and you're just like, oh my god, okay. this is amazing. Yeah, okay. and being a football person, I'm like, oh, uh-huh. this is so cool. And then you go to Villanova, and it's like, but orange is my favorite oriented. color. So if I was involved, I'd have been like, oh my Angel, gosh, come you're on in now, Orange City. I know <laughs> that's, everybody's an orange. That's all there is, and it's bright. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so that was on one hand but then you have Villanova and Georgetown who are definitely like private schools have religious affiliations more basketball oriented really probably attract a different type of student or demographic we'll say um so socioeconomic status for sure so those I kind of had those two on one hand and Tennessee on the other hand and I'm like okay where do I see myself fitting in here because really I don't identify with maybe either of these it truly like coming sure. from home. None of, of these course. feel like home. So <laughs> we're just starting from scratch. <laughs> I went to school with one stop sign, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stoplight exactly. so in my town, and I'm going to go to like one of that. these schools now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't, yes. I don't fit any of these things. Okay, <laughs> no. but I'm going to come here. Hello, yeah, it's so it's definitely a starting <laughs> over in that regard. But that's what I wanted. Like, I didn't want to be somewhere that was like like my home. I've done that. I feel like I did the small town thing. I, it had its positives, but it definitely had its drawbacks. So that was like, okay, I, that, I'm good. But the, yeah, that it, for me, it just really boiled down to, I think all three schools I, I could have gotten a good degree from. So for me, it was like, okay, what coach do you feel a connection to? And then what team do you identify with the most? And like, where do you see yourself fitting in with not only the team in terms of personalities, but your, your strengths and your weaknesses and like how this coach views you long-term. And I feel like all those coaches were amazing. Um, it was coach Milt at Georgetown at the time, um, coach Clark at Tennessee and then Gina, who is still at uh, Villanova. Um, but Villanova just ended up being the one that felt the most at home. I love Gina. Um, I think she's the best coach in the NCAA. She's an amazing woman and Villanova was an amazing program. And especially coming off the back of Sheila Reed, who had just graduated and was an amazing athlete, um, coming out of Villanova originally from Canada. And then, like I said, personally, I had my biases toward Emily and (laughs) Emily was my host. I was like, Oh, this is amazing. (laughs) Um, but I, I just feel like that one I, I could identify with as, okay, I'm a middle distance runner for sure, but I'm also, I do run cross country and I think I can be good at this, but I want to still be in those four by fours and like doing a hundreds, you know, just kind of getting the, taking advantage of the range that I've been able to display in high school. So Villanova just fit that. And Gina saw me, she's like, I think you can be a champion here. I think you can be really successful. And I would, um, I'd love to coach you. She's no nonsense for sure. She's an awesome woman, but she definitely reminded me of my coach being that like, this is no bullshit. We're going to get in and get our work done. And I love you all with all of my heart, but also come on, like we're going to get it done. And I appreciated that. And I definitely benefited from that type of relationship. So yeah, Villanova was it. And I, I loved it. I definitely have never for a second regretted my choice to go there. Um, and actually I was the other two schools at Tennessee and Georgetown through my four years. Well, I took a fifth year, five years at Villanova. Both of those coaches left those universities and kind of shuffled around the NCAA. So Villanova actually ended up being also the only school that I visited that the coach actually stayed there for my whole time, um, which was also really important to me because like I said, I had a really uh, close relationship with my high school coach. So I was like, this really matters to me. Like I, this coach is really important to me and this relationship that we can create is going to be really important for me. 
So I want to be with a coach that I know is going to stay here and able to see this through kind of this vision through with me that we talked about when I'm coming here as a, a high school senior. So, um, yeah, that was, I think that was really, really important to me. And then, like I said, it, she, she kept her word. She said she was going to be there for sure. And she's still there now. So, um, and there was definitely no doubt in that. And she lives in Breeze Villanova. Um, and I think that's why she's been so successful there for sure. Well, it's a partnership and a partnership like that, you know, breeds consistency and, um, you know, having the coach take you through the high school years and then, you know, getting over to Gina on the other side and, you know, having Emily, somebody who you looked up to, who was your host and all that, like, there's a lot of good dynamics going on there. Um, but it can be good for one year and then the coach leaves and then all of a sudden a new coach comes in and maybe you don't hit it off with them it's or maybe you butt heads for. even. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's not even a matter of not having the same philosophy. Maybe you just don't no, get along at yeah. all. I mean, it, it can uh, yeah. be like, wait a minute, this is not what I signed up for. I came here because somebody wanted me and they signed me. And now that person isn't here anymore. It's like you married somebody and all of a sudden yeah. there's a new spouse <laughs> is here. Swap. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Patrick, I know we were, said yeah. we were going to get married, but COVID happened. So um, yeah. Okay. Else. I get Bailey and substitute yeah. somebody else. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll see you later. Yeah. I'll come visit you in Australia. Like, yeah. No, hopefully none no. of that's going to happen. No. But I mean, no, like, honestly, me. no, it's not going to yeah. happen. Don't mind me. I'm completely nuts. Um, no, and, but it's true. That's how it would feel. And I know that's how I would have felt in that situation. Of course. Just abandoned. Uh, of course. Um, um, it's really hard. Yeah. Cause your teammates are your teammates, right? So you're going to, you do the work, uh, you know, the middle distance crew, you know, they roll together, the distance runners, they roll together, you know, people break off into groups and, you know, men and women even are doing some work. I mean, it just, it just depends, you know, on the dynamics of people who's wants to do a long run on what day or what time and, you know, who's schedule, you know, classes, there's all these different dynamics that are in play. Um, and you, and you, and you figure it out. Yeah, and um, but, those athletes come and go too. So I was yes. like, I love Emily. I'm obsessed with you, and I, you're a big part of why I want to come here. But you're also going to leave in like two years. Like you're older <laughs> than me. So like, do is this coach like you're going to be here for the whole four years? I hope. Like you're the one person I can count on. Like I don't even know what my recruiting class is looking like, but I know that you'll be here. So is that enough for me to to be happy here and be successful here? So I think that's also really important. Like the team was one of the most important things, but the coach was like it's going to be you and me in this for the long haul. Like no matter how many people I like on this team, we're all going to come and go and people transfer, you know, injuries happen, weird things happen that pull people out of that core group. But like, I think if you can find a coach that you can really align yourself with and you can communicate with honestly, and they can see the potential in you, then I feel like you're going to be just exponentially more comfortable and happier at that university. And then all those other things are just extra. Like it's great to have those amazing teammates. And I love that. And it's great to have a really strong academic um, program. And I, I've benefited from that as well. But um, I also think moving away from home, it's just nice to have that piece of com that comfort when you're like, okay, I trust this coach. And there's somebody here that's really looking out for me as an adult at the time. I'm like, I'm a child, <laughs> but an adult that's like, I got your back. I know how this works. Like if something were to happen, you don't need mom and dad. Like I can, I can help you out um, to some degree. So um, I do, I do think that's what a lot of college coaches take on, which is really hard. Like you just get eight fresh little 18 year olds who are like, Oh, I've never lived away from my parents. Surrogate I mean, mom or surrogate yeah, mom or dad really all the way. Yeah. And in, in your instance too, I mean, you're coming from a school with 60 kids and you know, one traffic light, one stoplight. And now, you know, Villanova, um, I don't know it's demographic. I mean, I don't think it's like all that, you know, diverse and environment, but I, I would assume that, you know, at least from the athletic side, probably from the sports teams more so there, 
But I mean, it, for you, at least, you know, at, at this point, you're not the only black athlete or the only yes. black kid in oh school gosh, for your me, first time in your I life. Like, like, hello, whoa, hey. diversity. <laughs> hey. All other black athletes are at Villanova like, oh my gosh, this is the widest place I've ever been. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> this is as diverse as it gets, probably. How, like, oh, but like, how funny is that? So from their perspective, it's the exact opposite. And yeah. from you, you're like, <laughs> hey, like, oh. okay, this is pretty cool. <laughs> you guys are all out here with me. Like, yeah, so I just, it's so dependent on what you're, you've been exposed to and what you've experienced in your own life. So that was like a funny thing, I think, just coming to Villanova. Um, but then as you see Philadelphia as a whole, you grow up and you're like, oh, wow, this is not diverse. Like I thought it was because of where <laughs> I came from, but now I've seen yeah. kind of the world and I know, but in the moment I was like, wow, like this is like a, a lot, it feels like a lot of diversity. I'm like seeing people from even just other countries. I'm like, I've never, I've met like probably one person from another country going up and now you guys are all here. Like it's just, it yeah. just expands your mind, especially from a small uh, town, rural area where people aren't, there's no one coming in from another country to Homer City. Like John it's just not Deere, happening. John Deere tractors are rolling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With terrible people towels are, are hanging. You know, Steeler, yes. Steeler towels are hanging. Football people are drinking beer on the yes. front porch. I mean, Hunting, you know, it's good old, thing. it's yes. good old rural America. But you know, like you said, it, there's no exposure. Um, I think that's why travel is uh, such an important thing for people in life. And I started traveling with my son when he was really young because it's the only way to explore their cultures is to be there and eat their food and see their clothing and, and learn their customs. And, you know, we can't go as long as we want. And right now no, we can't yeah. go anywhere because no yeah. country in the world will allow <laughs> yeah. us to travel they will not because the yeah, USA exactly. has become an embarrassment. Yeah. But it's no. okay. Don't worry. We got everything's under control. Yep. We're, we're no, doing fine. fine. <laughs> Don't yeah. worry. You know, doc, Dr. Fauci, by the way, is a graduate of my son's high school. So you can't oh be gosh, a more wow. proud. He's a terrific runner too. You know, played sports oh, at Regis High that. School. Wow. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. I mean, the guy's brilliant. Like just He's amazing, you know, take yeah. the microphone away from him, you know, push him out yeah. of the floor. Yeah, you know, he doesn't know that's a good about. idea. You know, just care. get him off the stage, you know, <laughs> yeah, throw him yeah. into the background. Don't worry, yes. everything will be more fine. Trump, you know? please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, just, we just can't, we can't. Yes, um, yes. So talk a little about your Villanova running experience. I know you had an amazing career there individually and also on the team side, setting just tons of records. So, so I don't have to read it and just walk me through, you know, talk to me through yeah. some of the highlights of either like big meets, big races, or things that happened while you were there that, that stick with you, that you, that you remember fondly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, obviously for me, immediately Penn Relays was huge. We were like, I, like I said, I went there in high school and I loved it. I was scared as hell of it, but I loved being <laughs> in that environment and racing there. So then in college you go and you're like, oh wow, this is what Villanova does. Like we're really, really good at Penn Relays and we go every year and we're going to show up and get, get things done. And I had gone to Penn Relays for three years at that point, but I'd never run a relay at Penn Relays. Like I was always in the high school girls mile because whatever. Um, so yeah, I was like, wow, to actually go to Penn Relays and run a relay and a Championship of America relay and we're trying to win it. Like, it was just like so amazing to me. So all of those definitely stick out. And it was hard this April, amongst other things, but missing Penn Relays, I was like, oh, this has been like kind of a, a home space for me for a really long time. So that was hard. Um, but we were able to do some cool things and relive it and that was fun. But um, yeah, so one of the years there, we broke the American record in the four by eight and the collegiate record. Um, 
with it was me, Emily Lepari, Nikki Conde, and Kelsey Margie, another New Yorker. Um, and it was amazing. Like it was just like the most incredible thing. Comes down to a kick. Emily's like <laughs> gritting it out to the line with Laura Raisler from Oregon and comes across the line. LSU is in the race, like a lot of big hitters. Um, and we broke the record and we were just like just it was like one of the best experiences. You're just like, what did we just do? It's like, a movie moment. Happen? Do we have, yeah. do we have video clips? Do we have clips? Of this? <laughs> we definitely I need, do. I need to see. Awesome. I'm yeah, excited. It was, it's amazing. It's an amazing race. What did and you, I'll, what did you all run? So every, what did you all run that day for the American record? Let me think. I think it was, um, let me do some math here. <laughs> it's okay. Go for it. Maybe like eight, 14 a 12 ish in that region i think we ran like 205 ish 204 maybe 203 202 i think those were our splits yeah killing it Uh, yeah it was incredible so that was definitely a highlight and something that you kind of go in we weren't we didn't go into this race thinking oh maybe we'll break the record like you don't even you're not even thinking about that you're just like we're trying to win we want to win a pen release wheel we want another championship bring it back to villanova and just generally just want to win like when you're in a race you want to win so i think that was one that was like you're elated that you won and then you find out you broke this um, a collegiate record an american record record for a second and you're like whoa like (laughs) that's incredible so that was and it's with your best friends like i think that's what pen release is so cool because you're like you do something amazing and everyone outperforms and like does things I've never done. And you're just looking around, you're like, Oh, but these are also like my closest friends and the people I do everything with. So it's that much more special to, to walk away from something feeling like you accomplished it together. Like you said, the importance of team and like learning how to do things together and overcome adversity together and uh, perform under pressure together. Like all of that stuff is really hard. And I think those are skills that I've been able to, come into through track and field and through running and particularly at pen relays and like NCAA level competitions. Um, so that was definitely a huge highlight for me. I mean, I, there's, um, I won pen relays nine times while I was at Villanova. Um, and every one of them is special and important and every one of them has a story and every one of them has a different team, you know, all that stuff. So, um, that's definitely a special, a special meet to me and will always be a special, a special place, um, for me for sure. I mean, those times are completely crazy. I think you said your 800 PR is 202, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then, 202. No problem. I got that. Yeah. yeah 61, 61. Okay. I could do this. No problem. Yeah. No, yeah. Oh no sweat. I, like, oh. I got this. But you know, but, just think about those, the times that all four of you are running, right? And then the thing with relays that's so amazing is to, when you go to, you know, the armory and you watch a great meet or you go to Milrose or you go to Penn Relays, like there's just the sound of the speed of the boards and just that, like the inertia and the force, like, and being down there on the floor is like next level stuff because you're just like, oh, you just feel this power and this force, but to have it all come together, it just, it's remarkable. Like the things that can go wrong are so many more, like fill the column, like up to the, up to heaven and then back a few times. And then for it to go right, there's like just a trillion things like missed handoffs, you know, fouls across the lines, you know, touching a line, like just so many things, tripping, catching a spike, like for it all to come together and for all four of you, yeah, okay, in the, the national right. meet and then yeah, not only yeah. win in a like out kicking Oregon <laughs> to tape or whatever, but but setting a, a college record, American record. I mean, that's that's uh that's a pretty big highlight. 
That's yeah, a good that one. Yeah, that was huge. That was awesome. And well, that's a great through. team. That's a great yes. team highlight. Yeah, I know. I love that. Yeah. Well, the team, the team stuff. Like I was going to ask you because I know personally, um, as runners, you know, we do a lot of stuff individually. But then that's your chance. You know, when you run cross country, you can earn, get points for the team. You know, you can be part of that collective effort. Like for me, when I score for my team, even in the New York City Marathon, you know, we're running and we have masters runners. And if I'm the top three on my team and I score, like you know how hard it is to score on my team. Like we have we had like six. I think we had five or six women running the trials in Atlanta. If not five or not five or six women, five or six teammates. I, I think maybe two men, four women, I think. Um, or I don't know if they all ran, maybe one was injured or something, but qualified. qualified yeah. I mean, our team is like seriously like cranked and I'll be like, Hey, I scored for the team. I it's like, it. yes. <laughs> yeah. so even though running your own PR and your own best time is amazing, there is something incredibly special. And I could tell, just like see your face on zoom. I could just see, you know, how <laughs> excited you are because it's, yeah. it's, you get to experience that with them forever. That doesn't ever go away. It isn't just yours, right? That you have that and you were footlocker or national champion or all American, which is amazing. But that is something you will always have forever. Every time you ever see them, every time you ever do a Zoom call, every time you FaceTime, <laughs> it'll be like, yay, we did. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got and that. You, like you have the stories of how nervous you were and just like the things you talked about, whatever, the lead up that you all go through together. It's just such a collective experience. And I think that there's not that many at least in my life thus far, there have not been that many really intense collective experiences of like that level of happiness that you, that you know, you'll remember. And these other, this other small group of people will also remember that same, to that same degree. And it meant as much to them as it meant to you. And you were in it so much together. So yeah, those are like invaluable. Cause like you said, I mean, it's just, you're happy for yourself, but you're happy for them. And then you're happy for us. And it's just like, everything came together and you know how hard it was and you watch them, the weeks and weeks and weeks at practice, grinding, getting it done, putting in the work to bring you all to that point. It's just, yeah, there's no, I feel like there's no better feeling than that for sure. And I think the, the super coolest element of it all is, so you all have this incredible experience, right? All four of you, then you have your coach, obviously yes. you have Going your teammates, crazy. right? So yeah. like there's, there's that whole element that people don't ever realize. Like it's every one of your teammates is screaming their heads off yes, while you guys are running like, Go! like, you know, the section, yeah. they're going like, crazy boom, banging yes. the wall like getting yeah. into it going crazy but there's there's just such a a whole uh, collective goodwill feel because i can guarantee you like oregon who you guys clipped to the line when that's over man you're hugging all those girls because there's no way you would have run that time if they weren't pushing you yes. to the brink yes. okay yeah, and exactly. whoever came in third the same thing they were trying to outkick the fourth place team like so there's so much going on there there's so so many different dynamics in play um, to just drive to like that ultimate goal and it's achieve awesome. and you know to run at at Villanova, uh, like you said, they are legendary, particularly in relays and have incredible history and all that stuff. But that's an awesome story as a team. Like when, <laughs> what about yeah. personal, anything indoor, outdoor, any, any one particular race that really like sticks out? Um, yeah. So I feel like I, um, so I indoors, my last, uh, my last indoor season of my senior year, I went to our big East, uh, championship, which was at ocean breeze actually on Staten Island. Um, Yay. and in Thailand, <laughs> on Staten Island, you'd probably know, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, it's said both ways around yes. here, by the way, <laughs> I feel like there's a right way and a wrong way. Yeah. It's Long Island. Emily has taught me on and in, yeah. they're not the same. <laughs> there's a right way. It's on Long Island or in Long Island. I think it's on, but anyway, <laughs> um, um, yeah, so we had our conference meet there and 
once again, you're kind of, you're in the hunt for the team title and that's important, but I had, I was running the K, the thousand. Um, and I remember going into that one being like, okay, I want to win this. That's important to me. But like I had run a thousand earlier in that season. And I think I'd run like maybe 242 or 243, something like that. And I was like, and a friend had texted me actually after that race. And I was like, I think you can break the collegiate record. Like you should just like try to do that. That would be awesome. And I was like, what is it? What are you talking? Like, it's one of those things. Like, I feel like collegiate records are so ab- abstract. It's just like someone did it way long ago. It was super fast, like feels untouchable, whatever. I don't know. I think it's just, it was hard for me to have that as a real idea. But this friend of mine tell, told me that. And I'm like, I don't even know what it is. Like maybe who knows? And you kind of forget about it. And then you get into this, this other opportunity that you have and it's, it's fairly competitive, but you're like, ah, that's not really the goal here. We're trying to win. You know, it's not a balls to the wall, maybe run as fast as you possibly can type of situation. But, um, for whatever reason I went to the front and that's just kind of how I feel comfortable racing is pushing from the front and just running it pretty honest. I, I perform better in those type of races versus kind of a sit and kick situation. So, um, yeah. And I won and ended up breaking the collegiate record in the thousand, um, at that meet. And it's funny cause I crossed the line and I saw the time and I was like, I, I think it was two thirty nine. I think the record before was two forty point or no, maybe it was two forty one point oh, and I ran two forty, but just, just one under it. Um, and I remember crossing the line and seeing the time and I'm like, I think I might've broke the record, <laughs> but like nobody announces it. Nobody says anything. And then I like get off the track. I see my coach and she's like, Oh, good job. Congrats on winning. And I'm like, I think I broke the collegiate record. Like, I'm not really sure, but I'm pretty sure. And she was like, what? what? And, like, we're like looking it up. <laughs> and then later in the meet, they like come over the loudspeaker in Ocean Breeze. And they're like, oh, and a few hours ago also, Angel broke the collegiate record. And then 1K, <laughs> like hours later, nobody even remembers this race. <laughs> like they come across because they just found it out as well. So um, I feel like that was a highlight for me. It was like not in the moment was this big theatrical moment, like a pen relays, but it was just like, wow, that was something that I like didn't even come into college thinking was possible for me or like a goal. It wasn't even a goal that I had. It just, it felt even beyond like a national championship. Um, so to me, I was like, Oh wow. Like you just ran faster than like any collegiate athlete has ever run over that distance. Like mind you, the K is not run NCAAs anymore and it is kind of an off event. So it's not run at every meet, um, which makes it a little bit easier to sneak into a record but um it was still something i was like wow i didn't think i could do this and i didn't even go into this with the mindset that i was going to do this but it was just something that like you just i just ran honest in the way i'm comfortable running and it kind of came with that so um i think that was definitely a big confidence booster and a big a big positive highlight for me that was like wow didn't even see that one coming and it just kind of fell into your lap so yeah i would say that was probably my one of my highest individual highlights for her that's that's an awesome story uh yeah. and it all comes back to another friend thinking you could break yeah, another yeah. record see yes. somebody tells you you're gonna do something you're I like know. okay i guess i can it's do this like, so yeah. we need we need more in. we need more of those people to just tell keep telling you stuff yep you're making the olympic team i'm, I'm just gonna say it on run chat okay, so angel you. yeah. you're making the olympic team <laughs> so we'll i just told you year. so yeah. now you're you know yeah. you, uh, patrick's yeah. already going so you gotta I know you, know, you gotta is. go too there he is hey how are you? <laughs> Welcome. Come on over. Say hi if you yeah. want. We'll, we'll bring him on. We'll bring him on for another show. <laughs> Absolutely. Will. We'll, get, we'll, get the whole, yeah. we'll get the whole fam the on. The whole family. Bailey will be in the Come next on. episode. Oh, oh, that, well, it's so funny because um, 
a running group that I'm part of. I, he doesn't coach me, Brendan O'Leary. It's O'Leary Racing Team, but uh, just a good friend of mine, and he's a terrific coach. And um, him and uh, Casey Kilareski, they're the two coaches. She ran in the Olympic trials in Atlanta. She's been on my show, and I just oh, like to nice. promote them all the time. But his dog's <laughs> his dog's name is Bailey, so there's a little oh, bit of digression cool. there. But it's a Bailey, a cool <laughs> yeah, older a dog. dog. And, yeah. and meanwhile, I'm petting my dog right now because. When she hears oh, my voice go up and down, and she's and like, oh, the inflection, right? The yes. excitement, you know, you've got that kind of energy. Yes. So as soon as it goes up a little, she comes over like, hmm, does she's he like, need me? Like, oh, yeah. is there something I'm supposed to do? Like, I don't know. I better me? just come over it? here yeah. and check just on him. Check. So I'll just yeah. bash into him. So she yeah. rams into my bar stool, you know, while I'm doing the podcast. It. And yeah, Coco, Coco's part of the mix. I mean, you know, you got to love it. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great, great story. Did you like the track? at Ocean Breeze? I mean, did you feel, what about the surface? Like in, in your mind, is it fast? Like compare like pan, like the different tracks you run on the army. Like, what do you think is the fastest? Yes. So I think the ocean, I think Ocean Breeze is a really good track. I am someone who feeds off of atmosphere for sure. So the armory I love because it's all around the track. They're right on top of you. People are literally slamming on the track. So that environment feels more conducive to like what I can do and what I prefer to do. That being said, I don't love the armory. If I'm being honest, I, I think I've had like good races there and I've had some really bad races there. So it's kind of a mixed bag for me personally. Um, but I also love Penn state. We raced there in college a handful of times and the, the indoor state meet for Pennsylvania high school is there as well. And I've just always loved that track. I think it's really fast. Um, I think you can get a pretty good atmosphere. It's it's kind of similar to Ocean Breeze where that backside, there's not a grand, there's not like a stand. So there's like people kind of lingering over there, but it's not as much as, as like the armory where you're 360. But um, I really like that track. I've, I feel like we've always, I've always had good races there um, and had a positive experience and it feels fast to me. Um, that being said, like I run on like just crappy, like flat tracks too. So a lot of things <laughs> feel fast compared to some of the other places I've been, but yeah, I would say Penn State's probably one of my favorite tracks, but I prefer the armory environment. Yeah. It's just crazy, crazy energy. Yeah. The energy, I agree with you because they do that. You can bang, you can bang on those boards on the yes. side and, um, the noise Screaming. level, yeah. it's like a, it, the, the, it just rises, man. And if they feel a good race is coming on and then, you know, the, the announcers are great too. If you, if you were running for the 1000 record there and they knew they would have been talking about it or come on, she's getting closer. But again, to your point, even if it isn't run as often, somebody knows it, but you know, and again, Ocean Breeze is just getting going. It's probably, know, was, you so were probably, new. you were probably one of the first races in there. I yes. mean, you know, yeah, it, we it, it hasn't been, open, it hasn't been open all that long. So, um, it, it opened when my son was in high school and he just graduated college. So it's not that many years. No, no, not at all. It's brand new. And that's, yeah. So that's no fault to them. Not anything against them. But it was just funny. And it, like I said, it's an odd event. So you're not like super aware of those records anyway. And I think my race was at like, it was one of the first ones on the program. I think I did it at like 10 30 AM or something. Like it was way early in the morning, just like so random <laughs> that I'm like going so hard at this, yeah. but <laughs> it just I'm, worked out that way. I'm going all out and no one knows I'm going yeah. for a record except me yeah. and the person who told me I could do it. Yeah, Nobody yeah, else knows my own coach. No. My own coach doesn't even know. Good no. job. You won. Like, huh? Exactly. I'll have and to have it. Laughing Cause I'm like, I don't care. I'll but. have a talk with Gina when I see her. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> her, but I'll talk to her yeah, anyway. Still. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll talk to anybody. So that's, that's awesome. Um, and so I know 
you'd set all kinds of, I mean, what was the number? I think you set some crazy number of records between pen relays in your college days too, like total. It was some crazy yeah, number. Yeah, I ran, I, we won nine while I was in college and I won two in high school. Yeah. <laughs> I lost twice there. And once it was Mary Kane destroyed me. She like put probably, I think she put eight seconds on me in what the last lap of my high school race at pen relays. Mind you, I was like, oh, I'm coming here. I'm going to go for three wins, three for three, whatever. Cause I won my sophomore year, won my junior year. And she like completely blew my doors off, which I was like, well, I guess if someone's going to blow your doors off, Mary Kane is like the one to do it. Um, and then once my freshman year, our four or 15, we lost. Um, and then I didn't, I didn't lose again, fortunately, but those ones stung. Wow. <laughs> like they definitely don't outweigh the good, wow. but Oh, you remember when you lose there. Cause it's just like, when you win, you get your wheel, you do a victory lap. Everyone's excited. It's amazing. When you lose, it's sort of like, okay, bye. Like, yeah. get off the track. Yeah. We got the next race coming. Right. You don't hang out here. Like, See you. get off and get Go. going. So it's yeah. like, oh, oh take, no one cares. Take your selfie over there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get your, get your ass off the, the track. Like, yeah. yeah Where's your ticket You now? didn't win. Like, so go back. Yeah. Go away. <laughs> yeah. So those ones are like, oh. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. <laughs> well, um. Yeah. So, I mean, that environment racing, you can just see your competitive streak, you know, the competitive fire that you have, you know, you, you remember the losses probably almost as much as the wins. I can just tell (laughs) by the way you're talking about it, but that's, that's the way people are that are really successful in life. You know, they're motivated by their losses. They're motivated, motivated by how they lost, why they lost, and they take it all apart. And sometimes it really isn't anything other than it just, you know, it just isn't your day. It wasn't your day. Sometimes it's the other person's day. Like, I think people get lost in the woods way too much on that stuff. It's like, oh, I didn't get my nutrition right at the marathon. You know what? Sometimes somebody else just has a better day. It's it's their day. They're feeling great. They put it all together, right? And, um, And you don't. So, but the fact that you still remember it, it tells me, it tells me a lot about your personality. So are you that competitive in everything or is it just running? So if you and Patrick are playing board games, do you have to win? Cause I see him over there in the hallway. Yeah. So you have to win. He knows it too. But he's really competitive as well. We're both elite athletes. So we're very competitive. Pat is very laid back. His personality is I'm animated and loud and whatever all this stuff and he's like quiet and laid back and chill um i think it's australian in him to be honest but his family's like that too they're i mean they're just great people and very calm and even keel all that stuff but we're both so competitive we've like had we've like have been constantly trying to find a distance that we can race where like i would have a a decent (laughs) shot at beating him which is hard because he's good at all these events and whatever he does is professionally as well so that's like our like little side project but yes board games anything i am it's on so competitive yeah you're not you can't win it's i know you're not allowed to win sorry (laughs) but he's also competitive so it's like but i also need to win so less than i do he's not as competitive in nature as I am, but, um, yes, yes, I am competitive for sure. I try to control it when I need to, but I don't like to lose. That's great. (laughs) But that's, that's okay though. It's okay. And you know, I think one thing people 
don't understand or do. And, and my son's an only child. You're an only you're an only child yourself. I have siblings. Oh, actually. you do. Oh, I, do. I didn't They're know much that. Older than me. No, oh, no okay. <laughs> yeah. um, but I was raised kind of like an only child. They're moved on. Yeah. Okay. Um, so for me, like people would say, because I coached all my son's teams, you know, running all this other stuff. And he decided, you know, his mom was a terrific runner, marathon runner. That's how we met when we were married. And, you know, he, she would try to talk him into running. He was like, I, he was fast in baseball and stuff. He's like, yeah. I don't want to run other than if not dad interested. tells me to run laps for baseball, that's it. I'm not doing any other yeah, running. Like, he's just like, running's a punishment. Like most kids, yes, me, yeah, I was like, I, I got this running thing. I'll run anywhere. I'll run yes. from here to here to Mars and back, you know, no problem. <laughs> but he beat me in his first race, like high school, like, you know, like, you know, the, you get labeled the cool dad is like the ultimate thing yes. to be labeled. And I go to Van <laughs> Cortland and those kids are, is your dad going to warm up with us? And Ronnie just like shrug his shoulders. I'm like, go ask your dad to warm up with us. And be like, you want me to warm up with you guys? Okay. And all the other <laughs> dads awesome. would be like, what the fuck? What? Like, what's going on? I'm like, <laughs> you just sorry, stand on the side? sorry. I'm just going to, I'm going to go run some hills, get the kids ready for the race. See you later. See you later. Parents. Awesome. <laughs> I used to get that. That was like, the greatest ever. And his coach yeah, was a so legend. Awesome. His coach coached for like a hundred seasons or, you know, because it's, it's oh, three wow. seasons oh, and however true. many yeah, years yeah. and you add yes. it all up. But I mean, he's just a remarkable um, gentleman. Wow, his name was awesome. coach John Donadeo. So I got to give him a shout out, but yes, please. Um, we loved him. He, he was legend at the armory. I mean, he's known, I mean, he'd end up on the track and get yelled at by the officials. <laughs> I mean, this is, this man is like a legend. Okay? I love those and, people. And, and love he'd, those he'd people. just be telling stories to me about movies during the meets. And I'm like, aren't you, don't, don't you want to be like watching <laughs> what place these yeah. guys are in? And, <laughs> no. You know, I'd be like, we're in fifth, you know, we got Xavier kids in front. And you know, I'm, I'm no. like you, I'm like all wound up. Like, oh, I'm telling the kids lies, Angel. I'm like, <laughs> I know. you got a kid right behind you. There's you no one to. behind them. You like, have to coming on you they're on your shoulder then they come over the hill they i see them look back like 20 yards later there's yeah. no one there <laughs> no, like, no sorry one. hey man you weren't running fast <laughs> but, enough yeah, sorry yeah, i can't I help you, you so that's right you ran 10 seconds <laughs> yes, faster i understand that yeah yep. <laughs> but where i was going is i never let him beat me at anything nothing yeah. zero yes. he beat yes. me in high school maybe his junior year the spring lake five a very famous race at the jersey shore super super competitive and he got ahead of me like two and a half miles into the race. And I kept clicking off the time, you know, eight seconds, six seconds. They're coming around corners. I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll catch him. I'll, I'll catch him. him. Yeah. He crushed me on the final home got stretch. <laughs> and I just remember it was like it such a, no, but it was a proud dad moment. Oh, it was like, he dad, beat my ass, man. I was like, dude, <laughs> get, bring that <laughs> shit in. Yeah. I was like, you kicked my ass. And he's like, That's awesome. and he just, he didn't make any big deal of it at all. It was just like nothing. Mm. But I wonder if he, I know he had Inside. to feel like that was kind of yeah. cool to beat my dad's that was awesome. ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Race so that's like why I'm thinking does. like you're talking about Patrick. And then for his senior year, because he wanted to get really fit for a senior year, we went to Colorado. We ran, you know, Magnolia. Oh, wow. We ran all that's the awesome. famous stuff where everybody runs, yeah. at, you know, five, six thousand, eight thousand feet and did like a, a bunch of trips. You know, we went to Stanford, we went to all the schools that he was looking oh, at. Cool. And it was like sick. But, you know, then after that, you know, at some point, you know, you're, you still compete golf, yes. anything, man. <laughs> yeah, hey, you, like, you want to compete with me? Do. It's on. Yes, if we're playing we're something, man. Something. We're playing for something, man. Or we're yes. playing to win. I'm yes. not, I'm not I in this thing agree. for any other reason. So no, I completely agree. <laughs> so let's segue back to you and Patrick. So yes. you guys arrive at Villanova more or less at the same time. Cause I know he's coming from Australia. So he's arriving at a little different time, but you spend your four years there together 
were you guys involved in dating and stuff during school or that was like <laughs> after and you know, how did that all kind of come together? Yes. Yeah. So he came in December. I came as a normal freshman in like August, September, um, because of their year. So he arrives and he had some issues because he had run, um, he had kind of run for a college or not run for college, but he went to college at home in Australia at a university of I think Queensland there. So he had something happened with his credits. So he redshirted his first semester at Villanova. So he arrived in December and or January and it's already like, okay, we have an Australian here, but he's not racing. You don't really see him because he's not a practice. Like he was like a myth early on and he wasn't <laughs> the Patrick Tiernan of now. It was just like uh, this random guy. Like he, we didn't know anything about him, you know? So early on it was like, I, I honestly, we've talked about this. I feel like for the first like probably full year that he was there. I literally didn't even see him at all. Like he just, he lived in a different building. He wasn't at practice. He wasn't at meets. He was just doing his thing with people, whatever. So like he was like a myth, but, um, anyway, eventually I do meet him and he becomes the athlete he is today and whatever. Um, but no, we didn't date at all while we were in college. We both dated other people. We were friends. Um, it's complicated, but yes, we were friends. <laughs> That's another podcast on the story. But um, anyway, but then we both graduate and I did a fifth year, like I said, um, and Pat went professional right out of college. Um, so as I'm doing my fifth year, he's now a pro, but he stayed with Marcus O'Sullivan, who's a, who was his coach at Villanova and is, oh my gosh, I didn't know he was coached by Marcus O'Sullivan. That's, yeah, that's yeah. awesome, man. The best. He's the greatest in the world. We love him. That's like Pat's second dad. Um, but yeah, so he stays in the air in the Philadelphia area cause he's still working with Marcus and I'm still there, um, training with my group, but I'm going to Villanova. I'm working as a GA while I'm there finishing up. I started a master's and I was finishing my master's. Um, there for the next, my fifth year. And then uh, a sixth year, I wasn't competing for Villanova anymore, but I was, um, still working in the office and going to classes. Um, yeah. So like through our time there, he's living there and we're both still in the area. We're like two of the only people from our, obviously Villanova, you graduate, you people go places, you go work and you start your life or you go back home or you do whatever. Um, so we were one of two who had really stayed in that area from the people that we knew from Villanova. Um, so just through that and our mutual still running at a really high level, um, we kind of reconnected, not that we weren't friends, but kind of got closer again. Um, and then started dating and here we are got engaged. Like I think we started dating in the summer and we were engaged by March. And then this year would have been like a year and a half. This August would have been our wedding. Um, but here we are COVID and <laughs> travel and everything else. Um, COVID yeah. equals wedding cancellation. It, postponement. <laughs> oh, sorry. Canceled. Yes. Wrong word. My bad. My bad. <laughs> and trust so me as a marathon runner, I know all about the difference <laughs> yes. between cancellation yes, and postponement. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes. Boston canceled. Um, no, Boston was postponed. Now postponed. it's canceled. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Wild. So yeah. So that's us. And then, like I said, we were friends all throughout college and we went to a lot of mutual meets and whatever. Everybody knew Pat. He's going to the Olympics while he's in college. Then he wins NCAAs and he was always that person that's in the mix at at NCAAs to win and whatever. He made and he had an incredible career at Villanova. Um, But similar to him, just like me, like it was not always easy. When he first came, he struggled and it was really hard and he didn't run well at all. (laughs) And there are like moments of like, oh, is this the right thing to do to bring this kid all the way over here? You know, whatever, what we're trying to figure out. Um, 
then it clicks and you and you get there. Um, but yeah, and then we moved in together in our apartment where we live now, um, outside of just outside the city, um, almost two years ago, like I guess a year and a half about. Um, yeah, and we've been here since. Cool. And we're going to have to figure out a way to live stream a race between the two of you. Once you figure out the distance, I need my distance. or, yes. you know, we, we got to, we'll figure this out. This, I need this him is, like unfit and a good distance. It's like yeah, a, whole a combination of things. Yeah. 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 I'm and in spikes. I can take him out drinking like, the night before yes, and get yes. him really drunk or Although, maybe, maybe door. Oh yeah. From Australia. He has experience with that. I yeah. think so. I think that might be a problem anyway. Fine. Yeah. Exactly. He might run better actually. I know. Yeah. Exactly. Honestly. That's, so we're, we need to be careful with our how we bring them down. I'm still working on it. Like I said, it's a pet project of mine, finding my race that I can beat them in. But one day, maybe eventually he'll move up and then I can be faster than him at like 50 meters or something. <laughs> but <laughs> we like actually tried that, like a 40-meter race. I was like, I, I can get off the line quicker than you. And then you won't be able to catch up to me in 40 meters. And yeah. he still did, which was really annoying. But oh, that, yeah. <laughs> we're working on it. Yeah. Don't give up. I know. I know I you're won't. not going to. So I you're good. this is. I could see the wheels are turning. So <laughs> I and I, you know, we had Nazalite was like racing against. Uh, was it Bowerman or I'm trying to think who? What two clubs oh, squared like off? OTC. Yeah, it was. Yeah, Atlanta. Yeah, it was Atlanta. Yeah, a couple of last night. I mean, yeah. look, we're so desperate right now. We'll tune into anything, man. You just need something like people will watch me run a race right now. They'll they'll yes. they'll pay per view <laughs> that. Oh, Ron's yes. running the marathon this weekend. Let's okay, see. I'll do it. <laughs> I got nothing else. How much? Ten bucks. Okay. All right, um, I'll watch it. the dude slog around in the heat. Okay, we'll I see know. if he dies. Maybe he'll die out there. <laughs> It'll be worth it. Could yeah. be interesting. <laughs> yeah. Let's see if anybody gives him CPR. I mean, you know, exactly. does there any aid stations at. out there? And people go to me, why did you get a cramp? I'm like, hey, listen, jackass, it's 93 <laughs> degrees out and I don't <laughs> have any aid myself. stations yeah. out there. It's not like there's like a pit crew that. around going, hey, no, man, here's some, on call yeah, for me. Yeah, here's some Gatorade, dude. You need some gels? No, I don't think so. I'll free. Yeah, old guy yeah. running over here. He needs a hand. So it's crazy. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe you're doing that. That's incredible. Ah, uh, you know, look, we all listen. This it leads us perfectly into our next spot. So, um, you know, what we're doing or what we're trying to do um, with everything that's going on in the world right now with racism and systemic racism and trying to like find our voice and find a role of what we can do and um, be be take yourself from the sidelines and into the arena somehow, some way. Um, so I know with having two parents who are teachers, um, they must be incredibly proud of you. Um, just because, you know, reading your blog post just like really got me. Um, I just was Thank really you. moved by it and I shared it with like everybody I know. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So, and you know, like I see a lot of people also sharing it, Instagram stories, Facebook, different places. Um, and, you know, we didn't even get to the fact that you signed with Wazell yet, but I think, you know, know, pretty much, you know, <laughs> yes. look, you signed with Wazell as a pro after running and like unattached. Amazing. And, you know, yes. I know, um, you know, well, before we get to the blog post, we should, we should actually lead in. So you, you kind of like reached out to them. You felt like maybe that would be a good vibe for you or a good fit. And, you know, as far as like trying to connect with the team, because, you know, out there running alone, you're a grad assistant, you're doing stuff. It's not easy, man, doing it's this kind easy. of hard level work and, you know, not having like Gina as your coach now. Right. So you're kind of in that like limbo state, which many, many elite runners find themselves in. And there is not exactly a good guidebook around that says, no, here's what There's you do no. to find a coach at the next level. Here's how you get hooked up with Nazali. And there's no system. You know, you're basically winging it. 
and you have to figure it out. So honestly, that's really interesting stuff before we get into your blog posts and talk about activism and social reform and all that stuff. Let's talk a little about that, how that, how that worked out for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I graduated Villanova and I started training with a group here in Philly. Um, Ajay Wilson trains here. Um, Raven Rogers formerly trained here. Kendra Chambers was here. Um, and Charlene Lipsy, whatever. We had a group of really strong kind of middle distance, um, athletes training in Philadelphia when I graduated Villanova. So I was like, all right, this would work. I, I can't, my college coach Gina was very clear about not taking on professionals. I think it's just really hard to balance the collegiate system with a professional. The schedules are different. The demands are different. It's, and she, what, what I benefited from so much was her pouring her whole heart and soul into our college team and giving those girls everything that they needed to be successful. So you can't do that and work on this whole other side thing. Marcus is unique and he's able to do that. He's been able to do that for Pat, but, um, and other coaches do, but I, th- I think it's really hard. And so I respected that. And I, like I said, it's what I benefited from at Villanova. So I definitely respected her saying that. Um, so I found something else, started training with this group. Um, and like I said, the first couple ye- year and a half, I guess, ish, two years, I was unattached and it was hard. Like you're hustling, you're grinding, you're trying to find races, you're trying to get things paid for as much as you can. Like I said, I was a graduate assistant, so I was getting a small stipend, but you're not, I mean, you're not rolling in it. So you're (laughs) like, okay, how do I need to be creative to like give myself opportunities, but at the same time, like not run myself into the poor house. So I'm like, do I have gas money to drive to this race? No, but honestly, you have to, you have to say it like that because it's, it's hard, man, it is really, you're basically living on nothing. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you're trying I, to keep up with people who are not in that same position. Correct. So yeah. you navigated that. And that's. Yes. And then I reached out to Wazelle and I'm like, because Kendra, I mentioned that Kendra Chambers was in my group and she was sponsored by Wazelle and she spoke so highly of them, love them. And through her, I was exposed to a lot of the stuff that they do and their stances on a lot of things. And I was like, oh, I think this would be a perfect fit. Let me reach out to them, tell them a little bit of my story, which we've gone through here and see if this would be something they would be interested in bringing me on board. Um, and then from there, I was kind of, hey, they were like, yeah, we'd love to. You really seem to, we seem to be aligned with our, our um, values and kind of what we're striving to do within this sport. Um, and yeah, I think you would be a really good fit for our group. Um, and I mean, Wazelle's an amazing company and they're working really hard right now in particular um, in this conversation of racial injustice. And I think they're trying to recognize, like you said, just do your part, like recognize where you fall within this systemic nature of the racism that's occurring in this country that has been occurring since the origins of this country. And I think Wazell has had a reputation in the past of being for white skinny women, like people kind of clump them in with maybe a Lululemon or whatever, and that's just not who they are. Um, and so they're working really, really actively and really, really hard right now to bring on voices and bring people into the fold that they've valued since the beginning of their organization, but maybe haven't been involved at a higher level. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an amazing, amazing company. I don't have a, wouldn't have a negative word to say about them. They, they really walk the walk and talk the talk, um, in terms of empowering women. It's for women by women. And also right now realizing that they have where they fall within all of this and then what they can do to make this different and make running look differently and make running apparel look differently, make all of this fit everybody who should be welcomed into the space that maybe hasn't felt welcomed in before. Or 
just didn't feel welcome, was maybe shut out altogether yes. or pushed yes. out or made to feel yes. pushed out because yes. it's, it, it can vary so, so uh, unbelievably um, based on where yeah. you are, or even talking about, you mentioned yourself with your skin color being lighter, that you felt things were probably a little bit easier on you or more yes. favorable for you than others. And I yes. think that there's no doubt that that's true. Um, you know, and then again, if you're growing up and you're one of two of only right. person of color in your area or neighborhood is very different between being a lot. And then if you're darker skin and how you're be being treated or looked at by teachers, by police, by anybody that you're interacting with. And, you know, so then you leave this, you know, environment of like rural countryville, go to Villanova and think that's like a big Diversity. explosion, but it's really yeah, not, at it's all. not at it's all. It's just a microscopically change, yes. you know, minor, yes. minor, minor change. Yes. And then, you know, going to Philly, of course, is real world, like getting into, okay, this is, this is a true mix. This is a true blend of what a diverse place might look like. Um, right. So um, landing with Wazelle is great. Um, and how did the whole like blog post that you wrote, how did that all come about? How did they reach out to you as an athlete? And, and, and how did you get that opportunity? How did that play out? Yeah, so I think it was kind of two-pronged. There was part of me watching and experiencing what's happening around the country being like, okay, as you're seeing Ahmaud Arbery, you're hearing about Breonna Taylor, you're seeing George Floyd die in the street, you're these emotions are coming to you and these thoughts are forming where you're like, wow, like you're seeing yourself in these people. And so I think through that, I had the wheels were turning in my head without me even being aware of like there's something going on here and I like feel like I have something to say. I don't know if I know what it is yet, but something I have something to say and I feel like I have something to add to this conversation that I haven't spoke on before. Um, and then on the other hand, Wazelle reached out to all their athletes and a lot of their athletes of color and were like, look, do you have, we're, we want you guys to feel safe in this space and we also want you all to feel like you can speak and have a voice and use our platform to uh, to elevate that. So they reached out to us and was kind of like, look, do you have a, anything, if you want to write something, if you have a, a quote, if you want to share, whatever, whatever you feel comfortable doing, if there is something that you do want to do, let us know and we're going to help you like make that happen. So um, to that, I was like, look, I have this blog post I'm working on. I, I just think I have some ideas that I want to put out. Would that be okay with you all? And they're like, yes, definitely send it to us whenever, like we'll get that out and get it going. Um, and then from there, I think I wrote it out. We decided kind of where to split it into part one and part two, the way that it um, is printed on the site now. And yeah, that was it. But I think it was just kind of me seeing what's going on around the country and being like, look, I like, and also seeing the reactions of others. And like we talked about briefly, a lot of how white people were, were, feeling and viewing this and how many people I saw that I felt like I saw on the sidelines who were like, uh, I really care. I feel like this is wrong, but I don't fully understand it. I don't really know exactly what to do. How do I help? I didn't know this was going on. And I think a lot of those things were initially being labeled and maybe still at this point being labeled as bad. Like, what do you mean you didn't know this was going on? Or like, well, you should know what to do and don't ask me to help you. Like that kind of narrative, which I understand for sure. But that just wasn't where I was coming from. I was someone who was like, look, I was raised in that as well. I didn't know this was going on either. And I'm black. So if I could grow up to be 18 and I didn't know this was going on, obviously I got to Villanova and I, you seek out other education, you kind of educate yourself. But if for the first half of my life, I didn't know this was real either, 
there's, I, I understand how someone could move through this world and go from high school to college to a workplace, say where I'm from, go to Homer City High, Homer Center High School, go to a college, maybe IUP not far from there, then work in Indiana or Homer City. And this is just never a part of your reality. And I don't think it's that you did anything wrong. And I don't think you were actively avoiding it. Like, oh, I just don't want to look at that because it's really hard and it's it's messy and I don't understand it. I think it was, I think it can be, there are people who are working really hard to prevent you from knowing certain things and keeping a certain narrative out of the mainstream, out of history books, out of the conversation, keeping voices out of the conversation. So I just felt like, I have a unique experience here. I was raised by two white people. I lived in a white town and I went to a predominantly white university even, but this is how I identify with my biracialness. And this is also how I've experienced racism, even though a lot of people might look at me and be like, oh, her skin is lighter or like, oh, we've known Angel. We grew up with her. We knew her forever. And like, we all loved her and she was great and she ran really fast and all this stuff. But there were things that were going on in my own life that people weren't aware of that I felt like if I can show you, like you all know me and feel comfortable around me because I'm angel then, but this is what my experience was in America. And this is what happens to me all the time. And this is what has happened to me in that safe place that you guys think was safe at home. Um, then that might make you feel more connected to this. And I think another thing that was important for me was like, if one person reads this and feels like, it made a difference or now they feel more attached to this movement or they donate 10, 20, $30, whatever, whatever it comes from it. They go to a protest, they have a conversation with somebody, they read a book, whatever it looks like that matters to me. And that can make a difference in someone else's life or make a difference as we move down the road. And we need everybody in this. Like this is not going to be a, like the woke people versus the rest, because I think we tried that last election cycle and here we are. So it has to be an active, like bringing people into the fold wherever they're at right now. And then obviously at this point, if you say to me, I still don't know what's going on, you know, six months from now, if you say, I didn't know the world was like, America was like this. It's like, okay, we were kind of in your face now. Like things were out. We have social media, we have all that stuff. But initially George Floyd dies, is murdered. And it's like, I, I get how you got to that point in your life. And you didn't know that we, we are where we are. Um, but I think every little thing matters and it counts and the only way we're going to get to where we're trying to get to collectively is if it is a collective effort and so i feel like there were just things that i felt i had a different perspective on that would offer that i could offer um that might be different than the what people are seeing constantly that might be intimidating them from speaking up or doing something or learning something um and that's okay to mess up you say the wrong thing or you do the wrong thing. That's okay. We're all doing that. Like nobody knows how to do this right now, but do it, mess up, learn, and then just keep it moving. It does. It's, it's okay. Um, and I think that's really important. Well, your blog post definitely inspired me. Um, Thank you. And, um, that means a lot to me. As soon as I read it, um, you know, I was definitely moved by it. And I think we all have blind spots, every single person, not just black yes. people, white people, Asian people, every kind of people, every ethnic class, every religious group, we have blind spots. And yes. we, we look at the world through our own lens, right? How are things yeah. affecting us? So if we're never 
tailed by the police when we drive our car through a neighborhood, or we're never followed around in a department store because we're white versus being black and never had an experience like that in our lives or going into a candy store or a deli and having somebody literally walk around in the store and follow you or something like that. If something like that's never been done to you, it's, it's literally, you have to close your eyes. Like I talked about, we, we were talking about when you got in the car and you went to the yeah, race and yeah. you close your eyes, you can put yourself back there. You got to close your eyes and be like, okay, what if I was black? Like, what if I was going through this neighborhood? What if I was on a run in Central Park? Like I talked about so late out there, like, what if it wasn't safe for me? What if I knew what that felt like? Well, that's the only way forward is to try to imagine yourself in the other person's skin and yes. in their shoes and what what are they feeling what is it like for them and then what kind of conversations do they have to have with their children that they right. shouldn't have to have because right. they're worried about how the police might interact with them or what might occur if they're out too late at night or in some area or some neighborhood or, or running not doing anything or wrong just running, just not doing living. anything wrong. Well, we talked about Sleeping a Mon, in your car. Mon Arbery's running in broad daylight. So, and yes, we talked about the Wendy situation. Some of the stuff we talked about before we came on the air. So, um, but yeah, there's, there's just so much to it. And, um, yeah, I think your blog post is great. I'll, I'll share it, which, um, in the show Thank notes you. and whatever. And I've pushed it out via Instagram stories a couple of times. I think one of the huge takeaways and literally I can give the direct quote from there. It's like every single contribution, share, donation, body at a protest, um, matters. As for myself, I am donating, speaking and learning. This is a marathon. If there's ever been one, we'll get tired. We may be tempted to stop, but we can do hard things. So like that, that moved me because I am a marathon runner, number one. Yeah. Um, and it's the way I live my life. Like you, you have to forge on. I was raised yes. by a mom who's, you know, going to be 88 years old. She's had lymphoma oh for gosh. almost 30 years. Um, wow. she's been through multiple breast cancers, you know, different kinds of cancer. She worked at one job for 47 years and retired at 87 years old. So wow. she was driving herself back and forth to work, you know, at 86, 87 years old. So they don't make them like my mom. And she's no, just a little don't. feisty, wow. little Irish woman. And she's, um, yeah. her motto in life is put one foot in front of the other. So like my own stuff, the things that I'm doing, me going out there and running these marathons week after week, it's just steeped in, I don't. I can't live my life on the sidelines. I can't. I can't be on the outside of something. And the pandemic just came at a time when the world was just, you know, we were reeling already. You know, we were already yes. in rough straits, yes. right? The economy, the, you know, God knows what's going on with politics, you know, and, and change is needed so desperately, which we all know. But so the pandemic comes and, you know, in typical U.S. fashion, because we have a myopic view, it's only about the U.S. and yeah. we're not paying attention to the rest of the world. So yes. when China goes haywire or whatever, we're like, eh, whatever, it's China. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Italy, like everybody's dying. Oh, okay, whatever. Yeah. Spain, yeah. same thing. Okay, all of a sudden, it's like hell on wheels. And I'm across the river in New York. I lived in New York for many, many years. I've worked in New York my entire adult life. And I'm trying to explain to my friends that are in North Carolina and South Carolina and Ohio or in Texas, trying to explain to them, this is my park. This is Central Park. And, you know, you use the word my, you don't own it. It's just this no, figure of speech, yeah. but it's mine. Like, I feel yeah. this incredible connection to it. One of my closest running friends named me the mayor of Central Park because I run so many miles there. And <laughs> yeah. when people come to town, I run with them and I take them yeah. through all my favorite loops. And, you know, kind of that's my thing to connect people socially and run and be out there and bring everybody together. And they're burying people literally 
in park space because there's no more room in the moor. Yeah, they're bringing yeah. tractor trailer trucks up, Angel, and they're putting bodies in refrigerated things. And and my friends are all like, you know, they're quoting me back all the standard speak, like we're all going to get through this together or whatever. And so I know like for me, I can't understand what it's like to be a black person and have these things happening. But yeah. when every one of them kept saying to me, we're all going to get through this together, yes. we're going to be okay. Yes. I wanted to shake them and literally strangle one of them and say, yes. listen, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You have yeah. no idea what's going on. Like yes. we can't even go outside. We're like, we're first off the density of New York and you know this Is, from visiting, yes. you can't move. You can't get in a subway Without or a bus. You can't get around somebody. anywhere. Yeah. So it's people are acting like New Yorkers screwed up. We didn't screw anything up. You jam that many people in that amount of space. It's imp if that's what's going on, they're all going to yes. get it. Okay. <laughs> Period. Yeah. So yes. now you see <laughs> the other side, we've come out of it. But I don't want to lose like my, my my main overarching point because you know when you're told over and over again, oh something's not a problem or yes. it's not a problem, it's not a problem. It's fine. You we're know, it's it fine. <laughs> like it's okay, or we're going to deal with this. We're going to address it. That makes people really tired. Okay. Yes. And people they wear down and they just yes. feel like I'm not important. Yeah. You don't care about me. You're not paying attention to me. So for me, you know, I'm channeling my mom's spirit like, hey, and I've questioned myself, what the hell am I doing out here? I'm running another marathon. It's 90 degrees. But you know what? I'm doing something, Angel. Yes. That's what your post yes. said. You're young, yes. like a couple of years older than, than my son. But you know what? I have so much faith in the young people in this world because they care about our planet. They give a damn yes. about the health yes. of this planet and they care about the world. And I want this world to be a better place for my son. It's pretty <laughs> yes, simple. So it is. you know it what? If my legs are still working, I'm going to keep going out there. And I, you amazing. know, whether it's raising money, it's raising awareness. I'm shocked how many people are writing back to me on my Facebook post. They didn't even know about Elijah. They didn't even know, I know. about. I know it's a whole year. It's almost a year ago. But almost a year ago, this poor little innocent kid who used to take yes. his violin Lynn, and go play. In the animal shelter for the dogs and cats, he's yeah. literally injected with enough ketamine to kill a 250-pound person, and he has two heart attacks, and he dies. And then, it, more importantly, no charges are brought. They're trying to have a peaceful right. vigil. They're playing violin music and cue the Star Wars Stormtrooper music. Dun, dun, dun. You know, the police are coming in a riot yes. squad, spraying people down, hitting yes, people. hitting them. Oh. And you just... How can you not look at that and realize there's something wrong? wrong? Yeah, like, we have a problem. Hello, we need a call to action. Okay, get yeah. up off your couch. Do something. You don't want to run a marathon with me? Fine. You know what? Come run five miles with me. You don't want to run one step with me? Read your blog. Yes. You want to? Don't yes. want to? Don't want to do that? I'll give you ten other things to do. There's always exactly. something, There's something that you can do. You know what else you can do? You can pick up the phone and call your black call. friends and just say, yes. "Hey, how are you doing right now? How are you yeah. holding up? Is there anything I can do? Is there anything you need me to do? Do I? Can I listen to you? Any issues that you're having right now? How are you feeling? Um, there's just so many things, but it comes back to just trying to do something. You know, get exactly. involved. Get involved. Somebody. And it doesn't matter. It's not going to look the same for everybody. Like not everybody felt comfortable protesting. Not everyone feels comfortable or has the position right now to donate money, but you find your way to do something and then you, but you have to do something because we can all do something. We can all call uh, a Senator or someone in a position of power. We can all send an email to somebody and say, I demand justice for Breonna Taylor, Elijah McClain. You can, 
post something on social media. That's the ease. Like, it, what does that take? Uh, five seconds of your time? Like, there's something, a petition. You type your name and your zip code and you're done. Like, you're done. there's that we can all do, but you got to find your thing. And I also feel like there's a piece of, so Black Lives Matter, is a, it's a broad movement at the moment where it's like okay we're we're also com- combating a lot of different things so i feel like there's a part of it that's like okay if you're passionate about like police reform or abolition or what whatever you however you see police moving forward police brutality that can be a thing if you're passionate about mass incarceration or the prison complex that can be your thing if you're into education the suffering school districts in inner cities, that can be your thing. If you're into food, nutrition, like you can find also find your passion piece within this. And then that's how you'll stay connected. Like that's how there's sustainability because this is what you are passionate about anyway. And there will be something within this that you're passionate about because it it touches every inch of life for black Americans. Then like stay committed to that. Like or if you're passionate about kids, like childcare and access to those things or why the healthcare system if that's what you're passionate about like why do black people black women die at a higher rate giving birth than white women like find what you care about and then find a way to make that different change it make it better contribute to it raise awareness to it whatever whatever it is that you feel comfortable feel like you can do like there is a place for you and we need you more than we've ever needed you before so find your lane, find your spot and then lock in. Cause it's going to be a long ride and we, who knows what we'll see by the time I'm old, but it's worth it. It will be worth it. Every single thing that every single person does right now is worth it. So it's, that was very powerful. And, um, Yes, it is about finding your lane. Call it whatever you want. Don't be afraid to use the wrong term. Don't be afraid to say something that you're worried it's going to offend one of your friends on Facebook or somebody else. Just say what you want to say. You can, you can know police officers. There are wonderful police officers on the police force, men, women, every color, every race in the world. There are plenty, amazing amounts of them that are great who do exactly what they're supposed to do, protect and serve. But it's not okay to be pushing down a white dude who's 70 something years old and having his head split on the ground and they walk by him like he's not even alive. Okay. Yes. Yes. Over him. And just like anyone who looked back, they pushed the other cop like who look back like no 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 No, he's dead to us like don't don't you do it so no they don't that whole situation um and i just think that that's a big part of the problem the whole damn naming of the that process calling it defund the police like people just get the wrong idea it's just a like if you let me get involved i'll help you on the branding side that is not what you call something defund the police okay well so we're not gonna have any more police department oh it's gonna be lawless yeah Yeah, so so people grab onto the stupidest things and then that's what they do and they're not willing what i try to tell people every day is do some damn work, okay? Just do a little work. That's all. Do the work. Okay? Yeah. Don't click on one link. Click on 10, okay? And guess what? Have a broad enough view to know, okay, maybe somebody's trying to drive you in a direction here. Yes. If, you know, somebody's yes. trying to tell you that there's a reason why the police were okay to be in riot gear at that Elijah's rally or vigil yesterday, you know what, man? I got a big problem, man. We can't, yes. we can't talk. Yes. We can't communicate. We can't yes. do anything. But you know what? 
We're not going to win that conversation, right? So you got to use your energy. You do. You have to and be smart. The same yes. way on a Facebook thread where the comments can get out of hand. Like sometimes oh you gosh, just got to yes. pick your battle. Just say, you know what? Yes, this is do. this isn't winnable. It's yeah. okay. Okay, I'm dealing with a bigot here. Somebody who's clearly a racist. Someone yeah. who's hate. Yeah. And some of these. Who knows if even some of these people are even real? You know, if they've yeah, been a real. You don't. You, you really don't have any you, idea. You don't. You don't even know what you're doing. So you know yeah. your your blog. I want you to share the uh, the starfish parable because I. That, yeah. It's, it's it's one of my favorites, and uh, I will never be able to give it this the proper justice. So. <laughs> well, I'll do my best. Okay. Um, this is all from memory, but so my mom used to tell me this all the time, and I think she got she got the keychain or something from a student mom of hers. So my mom works with uh, preschoolers with disabilities. So she this mom gave her this starfish and she had this keychain on her keys for the longest time. And I remember I asked her about it one time where I was like, Oh, what, what, what is this? Why do you have a starfish on your like keychain? Like we're not really beach people we're from Pittsburgh. Like <laughs> this doesn't really add up to me right now. Um, so like, what is this? And so then she explains it to me and it's pretty much the story of um, a young boy or girl it depends on what version you see, but a young boy who's, all these starfish starfishes have beached on the uh, on the sand and something has happened that has caused them to do this and this boy's going through and one at a time just throwing them back in the water throwing them back in the water there's thousands and thousands of them on the beach and an older gentleman comes up to him and is like why are you doing this like why are you throwing these starfish back into the ocean do you see how many there are like you'll never get all of them you'll never make an impact here like just forget about it there's no point um and the little boy just turns and responds that like I, I can't do, I can't save all of them, but it, it makes a difference to this one and it, it will save this one as he throws another one back into the ocean. And so for me, and then I think in some of the stories, the older gentleman is like, oh, wow. And then he starts helping or other people join in, whatever, or it ends there. But I think for me, it just spoke to me. And especially in this moment where it's like, yeah, it's overwhelming. There's a lot. It's really, really deep. And like we said, it's, it's systemic. So it's not going to be like, we change one, we vote out one person and bring in a new person and it's fixed. Like it's going to be a lot of heavy lifting and a lot of hard work and it's going to feel like it's impossible, but every one of us can make a difference and can do something, which is what we've been talking about. And I, and then I relate it in the blog to like myself. And I, I, there are a lot of people who did a little something or helped me in some way. And every one of those small acts of kindness or, uh, their ability to reach me in some way or contribute to my success or my happiness in general, like that mattered to me and it made a difference to me. So it was twofold and one thanking those people who are in my life who now are reading this and are like, wow, we never realized Angel went through this. Like it, it's complicated. It's an emotional too. Um, but there are a lot of people in my life who I'm like, no, I, I went through a hard thing, but it, it's not your fault. And I thank everybody in my life who has helped me get to this point. But keep that carry that energy into this movement and know that like you can't save every single thing and you're not going to be able to that's just the name of the game like this started post george floyd and richard brooks has died since you know like you're not going to be able to save every black person at this point because the system is so rotten to its core and it's going to be a lot of work and it's going to take a lot of time and people will die in the process things will not always be trending positive cities will drag their feet in changing legislation, whatever it, that's going to look like, but it's worth it. And every little thing that you can do to contribute matters. It all, it all matters. And you don't know how it will matter. Like we said, if you post something and one person reads it and is like, 
ah, uh, like maybe I should view this differently or like, let me get a second look at this. Cause I didn't realize that before. And then that person is maybe in a circle of people who looks a lot different than our circles look. And they have this conversation like, Oh, I read this thing. Have you heard this? Like, I don't know if I believe it, whatever. However that looks when someone's kind of stepping into this, it matters. And like, that's, it's the small incremental baby step changes that I think are going to get us to, like I said, the point that we're trying to get to and also keep it really sustainable. Like no one in this movement can take it all on their back and be like, I got this. Let me just grind, grind, grind. I, I, I don't need anybody's help. I can do this because that's what leads to burnout. And that's how these things kind of fizzle out and die. But in that process, there's so like, there's so, there's so many of us that are capable right now and that feel really passionate. And like you said, a lot of people who maybe didn't realize a lot of this was going on, but are seeing this and are like, I'm not okay with this. Like I didn't realize this was going on, but like, I certainly don't agree with it. So what, how do I do something and get involved? And I think it's just keeping in mind, like we said, stay in your lane, do what feels comfortable to you for you, but do something. And also don't feel like if tomorrow the police aren't abolished across the United States that it was for naught, you know, like it's going to take so much time and it's going to be so small. And it's like, we're trying to take down truly institutions and systems that this country were, was built on. So that's going to take time. It took us a lot of time to get here. So it's going to take a lot of time to get out of here, but it doesn't happen unless we all take, push the needle, push the needle, push the needle and keep, and keep fighting that. Even if we don't get to see the fruits of all of that labor within our own lifetimes. And that's a really realistic possibility, even for young people. Like we just don't know how, what this is going to look like, how long it's going to take. And like when we reach that, that end goal, but never feel like saving one person or doing one small act won't contribute to us getting to that point or is worthless if you don't immediately see the um the reap the benefits of that yeah that's that was the beautiful takeaway of the starfish thing to me because it related back to your the one action item because that's that's what i believe you know the one starfish yes. is saved right so my run you know on instagram we talked about you know uh, the style and formatting of that versus Facebook. But, you know, like with a real link on Facebook, you know, people can action, you know, actionable items are just a little bit easier as opposed to, you know, clicking up a link inside somebody's Instagram profile to get to your blog post or maybe something, a podcast you've been on or things like that. In Facebook, it's just a little more straightforward. I think I had somewhere between 20 or 30 people comment that they were not aware of Elijah's story. They yeah. didn't know. Me thanked me. You know, they, I don't care if they thanked me for running. No, I care yeah. that they actually were aware of something they weren't aware of. They yes. signed the petition. They yes. made a call or sent an email and they did something. Then I had five different people share my post. So yes, that's, exactly. so it's, so yeah. it's however many people wrote back and actually did something is one thing, but five other people sharing it. I don't know how many other people is in, exactly. is in that number now, but I know one thing it's not five anymore. It's a lot no. bigger. It could yes. be 500. It could be 5,000. Yes. It depends exactly. on how big their circle is. And, exactly. And if you had never done that, yeah. cause you've been like, Oh, I don't know what to say. I don't know if this is the right thing. I'll leave it. I'll maybe just talk to my son and like, leave it at that. Like if you hadn't made that next step, like those 5,000 people, because easily if one person shares it, you're reaching hundreds of people. Even if you don't have that many friends, it's just, it's being shared. It's being liked. It's coming up on different feeds. None of those people would have been reached by someone like yourself who they respect and they trust and they feel like they can connect to when they see themselves in. So that's, what's so important. Like if, if people just sit on the sidelines and say, Oh, I don't really know. That's all those people that you're not reaching that will 
listen to you and maybe feel they can see themselves in you and in your voice more than my voice or someone who looks darker than me or lighter than me, whatever, however that plays out or more education than me, less education. Like it, I feel like there's just a specific place that we can all hold and we all have an audience. Like we all have friends and family that will trust us more than they trust someone on the outside. So it takes one post. And then, like you said, that gets shared because people are like, oh, wow, I didn't know this, but I think it's important to know this. And I want those people in my circle to know this. And maybe I didn't have the words, but Ron had the words. So I'll share his words and who cares? As long as the words are getting out there and the message is being spread and the petitions are being signed, like it's just, it's going to be a process. And then that's the exactly the way we do it. That's it. And then obviously not only to their friends, but if their children or any other people that yes. are in their important we all have important people in our life. We don't have huge groups, especially now now with COVID, we're, we're all so cut off physically from our normal interactions. And we're doing a lot of this stuff, um, yes. a lot of Zoom stuff, which I don't know where we would be without Zoom, man. I'd, I don't either. I'd be lost, oh. man. My, I couldn't <laughs> no. do a podcast without Zoom because I can't do just a regular radio pod. I got to see somebody and be like, hey, what's up? I got to be yes, like, you know, the interaction, doing yeah. stuff. <laughs> like, hey, what's happening? <laughs> You know, because I, I just, I just couldn't do it. I'd be like, yes. yeah, it's over. Um, but yeah, thank, thankful for that. Um, so I, in addition, you know, I want to certainly keep using my platform, the podcast platform yes. to have, to have more BIPOC guests on more diverse guests on, which for the amount of people I've had on, I've done pretty well to yeah. this point. So I'm, I'm happy about that, but I want to do, I want to do better. More, um, yeah, you just keep doing more, keep doing, keep doing, keep doing more, yeah. but what can what kind of advice can you share to us, to me, to the white community out there about how to be better allies? I mean, I know all the stuff that I see and your post addresses it and, and does a really nice job of it, but you know, we're talking so you can walk through some of those things and I know they're going to read it because if they don't, they're going to be in big trouble with me. Anybody who's listening, <laughs> yes, you better read this post <laughs> and we, yeah, I'll come for you, man. I'll just show up at your house uninvited for dinner. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I need to keep you around. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's hard. And like I said, I think what's really important is which we talked about already, but like doing the work and not being afraid to do the work. And then with that will come sadness and pain and hurt in you that maybe there are all these things that were going on in the United States that you didn't, you weren't aware of. And there were a lot of people that were in pain. And for example, like people who know me that were like, Oh wow, she was in some pain here. And I didn't know that. And that makes me feel bad. But I think there's also a piece to that. That's like, okay, now don't, don't just mope and be sad about it. We're all sad. You know, like it is, a, it's an unfortunate circumstance that we're in right now, but I think it's more powerful to be like, wow, that's really sad. And I, I'm going to sit in that and think about why that makes me feel sad and, and think about those feelings, but use that as motivation to keep moving forward and keep acting and keep donating and keep protesting and keep talking. And I think like we, I already touched on a little bit. There are, like I said, my voice can reach certain people in certain ways that other people's voices couldn't just as much as my white friends and my white parents and whatever. And my white fiance can reach other people. And we talked about this a lot because he, I mean, my fiance is from Australia, lived in Australia the majority of his life up to this point, 18 years. Um, so he comes here and you're kind of just thrust into the United States. And like I said, it's not, it's not something that's in your face. You're at Villanova. It looks really different. So coming into this moment, he's like, Whoa, like, what is going on out here? Like, what are y'all doing? That being said, Australia has its own history and its own piece in discrimination and racism against Aboriginal people there. So it, it, there are parallels, but 
it's not the same. And so you come here and I think for him, it was really overwhelming at first. And he also had to look into this and realize it hurts me not only because it is sad on its face, but it's also like, I'm afraid for, and I feel pain for the black people in my life, a black fiance, black friends that are living this and they could go out into the world and maybe they won't come back. And that's a terrifying thought that Angel could go on a run and she might not come back. And it would be because someone had a gun felt the need to whatever, take her life from her. So I think that there's a piece of recognizing why you feel a certain way. But then, and we've had this conversation too, educating yourself and finding ways to make a difference. And like I said, shift the needle. So for him, that was, he made a post as well on his Instagram that was kind of speaking to the same point, which we t- we both talked about together being like, I don't really know what to do yet. I'm working on it. I'm learning. I'm trying to figure out the right language. I'm I'm ordering books. I'm watching these documentaries, all of this stuff. But this is too important to wait until we know exactly what to do. And I know that my voice carries some weight in other circles than maybe Angels would or her fellow training partners or whoever else, a person of color in this United States. So I'm going to use that and just say, at least right now I'm working on it, but this is wrong and we need to get involved and it's on all of us to do more. And so I think that there's, which we've already talked about, but there's just, it's so important that people stay connected to this and find their passion in it. And like I said, for him, it was, okay, I love this woman more than anything else. So until she feels safe in this world and until our children feel safe in this world, like I, this fight won't stop for me. And so you find your connection that makes it sustainable and then you don't give up until you've seen change for that person or for that reason or for that system or whatever it looks like. But I think, um, and I think just being cognizant of how black people are experiencing what's happening right now, because it is, it's hard and it's heavy and it's heavy for everybody but it's particularly heavy for black people who are like, this is sure it is our reality, you <laughs> yeah. know, like it, it's hard for white people to watch it and be like, wow, that's really sad. And that's hard. But for us watching it and you're seeing yourself in that person, like that could have been me. And there's no reason why that wasn't me except luck. So I think that there's a piece that's important of being like, okay, giving those people space. And like you said, reaching out, checking in, but if they don't want to talk about it, they're it's not their job like you continue doing your own work on the side you do your research google is our friend there's no lack right now of resources even on streaming services that have Mm -hmm. their own curated black lives matter content like there's just no excuse right now to lean so heavily on your black friends to carry their weight but then also carry yours and get you to the point that you need to get to so i think that's really important as well because i think there are a lot of people like you said black people that are tired right now um and don't have the energy and the space to to take this all in and process it, but then also process your sadness and grief and carry you across the finish line, you know? So I think that's really important. Yeah. That's thank you for raising that point because um, on, I was listening to ritual podcast with Knox Robinson and um, you know, they were kind of batting back and forth, you know, allyship and what does it look like and all this. And, you know, at one point, you know, Knox just kind of little slyly was just like, Hey, like, I'm not going to like untangle this for you or not. I'm, translating, but you know, like, you you know, you kind of have to figure it out. You know, you know how you talk to your black friends, you know how you interact with your black friends. That's why they're your friends. Like just, you got to figure it out. And I think that that's fair. And I think that, you know what, like it's time to start the onus to, to help with the situation is on our side of the table. Okay. It is. is. It's a black person issue at this moment. Yeah, it's not. Um, and the only way any real change is going to happen is if we're in this fight 
together and we're we're working alongside shoulder to shoulder and, yes. and doing the extra work. And you know, don't don't at all be surprised if you know the people that you are reaching out to on the black side are just too tired or too fatigued yeah. or too exhausted to be like, hey, I'm sorry, I don't have time to go through all this stuff with you. Or just I don't even know how I feel myself right now because yes, right. it's just too much for me. And you have to be okay with that. But you yes. know what? If you at least make the effort, yes. even if it isn't a phone call, even if it's a text, a, a PM, you know, just something, just say, hey man, I just want to just check in and you see here. how you're doing. Yeah. And you know, whatever. Um, I just want you to know, um, thinking about you, just whatever. Yeah. Have a chat. And I think the solidarity is important as well. Like I think it it hurts, at least for me, and I I've experienced this. People, the white people that are in my life that maybe haven't spoken out on the matter yet, haven't posted something, haven't texted me, haven't yeah. done something that's visual. And I understand it's not all about social media. That's not the sure. point. But at the same time, we all have it. And I know what it takes to make a post. So, or like share a story, even share a resource. So if that's the bare minimum of just, even if that's not the way that you necessarily navigate the world is through via social media. And you don't think that's the most important thing it's important to show that this is not okay with you still. Like it's important to show solidarity. And I think it's important to visually represent to people that like myself, who might be a friend of yours, that's black or other white people that like, I am not okay with this. And I'm on the other side of like trying to fix this. So please, if that is something that's uncomfortable with you, raise it up with me or like whatever, handle that how you will. But like, I think it is important for white people to show I'm in the fight because right now you don't know, like the United States is pretty divided at this point. And there are a ton of white people showing out right now, which is amazing. But there are also a lot of white people who were like standing on the corners, mad with their Trump flags, doing whatever. And you're like, okay, where do you fall? Cause it's like you said, it's not a political it's matter not. at this point. And it's not like a, yeah, kind of I, black lives kind of matter. That's not it. No. Are you black lives matter or they don't matter. And it's that point blank period. So you have to align yourself with with the message or if you're not then it's just not if it's not important enough for you to take 5 seconds to post something or share a link or do something to help move this forward then that's i mean i don't have anything to say to you yeah and and the truth is it is it's just not political just despite what anybody will try to tell you it's not you can be an ultra conservative right-wing thinking person who's yes. fiscally, monetarily, yes. and all of the other terms that you might use to describe politics and your leanings, okay? But this is the human race, okay? Yes. These are black people dying. These are people being murdered and killed, okay? this is yes. These aren't accidents. These no. aren't like, um, not sure what actually happened. These are like straight out people being killed where we know the facts, we have the information, and what kind of person are you if you don't have empathy for another human yes. being? I don't care if Dying. you're from another yeah. planet and you didn't even come from the from Earth. It doesn't yes. matter. It doesn't it, matter. An animal, an insect, anything. Okay, empathy. We either have yes. it or we don't. Or you don't. All right, and and I think if you learn anything about the people in our worlds. You know, at some point, you just have to realize I'm not going to influence this person. I'm not yes. going to move them off their mark, but I am yeah. going to move somebody else. And exactly. that's your, your talk about the marathon, why it resonates with me is because, yeah, that's how I live my life. It is a marathon. My mom taught me about putting one foot in front of the other. And she's got a huge heart for this little feisty little lady. I mean, she raised three boys and 
you know, she taught me everything I know about being tough and strong and, and fighting through to the end. And you think I want to be out there running in 90 degrees? I'm exhausted, no, man. Yeah, and like yeah. my friends are like, oh, he's not running fast. I'm like, what are you fucking kidding me? You go out there and run. You go run a marathon in 90 degrees. Okay. Or, okay. Oh, was it 90 when you finished? I'm like, oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. Great. Oh, yeah. 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 No problem. Oh, yeah. The temperature dropped like 10 degrees. Oh, yep. You're right. I don't worry. It was, it was like yeah, running in lazy. Vietnam but no sweat yeah. <laughs> and you know what though we know there's haters out there we okay do. you can't worry there about you can't no. worry no. about them okay you know stay that's back in your own lane use your voice keep using your voice write more blogs i'm giving you some yes. advice write more blog yeah. posts don't <laughs> write you. more um, <laughs> yeah. you have things to say you know you do um so yeah. write more and i'm sure wazel will support it and it'll help build your following 100%. and and obviously run chats people you got to follow angels so what are yes, you doing like you, you should be following her already even though the show hasn't posted yet so exactly. her numbers need to go up like yeah, i mean no. that's my expectation I mean, she needs to be up by I a thousand followers that. like within two weeks so yes yeah and if <laughs> not there will be repercussions a problem so, i don't know what i can do but i could just threaten people you know the threats i'm are good, good at that for now you know yeah. come on. It's, COVID. it's just fun threats will do yeah, yeah. <laughs> threats will work right <laughs> yeah. we hope but anything um it's been such an absolute pleasure talking to you um Thank is there you. anything um before we roll out that's like on your mind before we go that you wanted to cover because we did cover a lot yeah no i feel like we got it all like that's i mean that that's pretty much me in a nutshell, what we've covered. And I think I, the only thing I would add is like, if there is anything that I spoke to that either speaks to someone that's listening or you have questions, whatever, like I am here and available to help in any way. And like I said, we're all learning and we're working together. So in any way that I can support other people, bring people into the fold, like that's my whole thing right now. So I'm open to that if there's anything that I can also provide. And I think if there's anyone listening that related to something I said, reach out, let me know. I appreciate that as well. A lot of people reach out about my blogs being like, oh, I'm also biracial. I had the same experience or I'm from a small town or I'm a black person that runs longer distance. I'm not a marathoner, but 3K, <laughs> you know, 5K, 6K cross country, that type of thing. Um, and so we're like, I resonated with you, your message of like, don't be afraid to make a mistake in pursuit of making the right decision or the saying the right thing. And so um, yeah, I appreciate all of that stuff. And I appreciate everyone listening, taking the time. This is probably going to be long. I'm so long winded. So <laughs> I appreciate your time as well for having me on. We broke a record um, for, for <laughs> longest run chat podcast. But I told you, I said before we came on, even before we even hit the record button that it's long form. And it's it's really, that's the beauty of having a platform. That's the beauty of having yeah. the medium. And the thought that I would cut one word of this out, this is never going to happen. So the people who listen to my show, I'm not rich roll. I don't have millions of followers. I don't have people <laughs> doing 500,000 downloads. The people who listen to my show are going to listen. They may not listen to the entire episode like me in one run because maybe yeah. they're not out there that long, but <laughs> yeah. the 3k runners, you know, they might get yeah. three or four workouts out of this, but yeah. you know, I know, I know the people um, that are so loyal to my show that I'm so lucky to have. And um, that's why I started this thing to have a platform and who knew when I started it, what was going to happen in the world? Who knew a pandemic was going to come? Who knew all this racial unrest was going to come to the surface and the world needs to change. And um, yes. so it's it's a gift to be able to have somebody yeah. like you on, a young voice who is bright and smart <laughs> and <laughs> have you. so much to share and offer. So your suggestions are great. And I love the fact that you're offering to interact with people as you do of every course. day anyway. Yes. And that's what we want. We want to get a dialogue going and have conversations going and keep sharing and keep learning. 
There's yes. more to learn. So um, yes. I thank you so much. Um, thank next you time for we'll have to, we have to have Patrick join us too yes, or whatever. Look, or, we're here. We're doing nothing. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. So all, all the best with your running with Wazelle. Thank you. Um, you know, let us know what's going on with your training when you get back to it at all, you know, we'll stay in touch with you. And, um, you know, when racing comes back or any big things going on with you in your life, we, we could always have you back on again. So thanks so yeah, much. I love it. Thank you. You're awesome. I had so much fun. This is great. So yeah, thank you for having me. And like I said, you want Pat or I, we're here. So. <laughs> all right. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Angel. So you know, this is the most fitting hashtag of all time. Um, how I close out every show, every show, as I always just say it to everybody, peace out and always remember to stay in the fight. And if there's ever th one yes. thing in the world we all need to do right now, it's stay in the fight. So give it to me. Yes. Peace out. Peace out and stay, stay in, in the fight. The fight. <laughs> wow. Isn't Angel's story impressive? I mean, I am just so amazed by what she's accomplished to, at this point at such a young age. I mean, she's had a prodigious high school and college career, setting just so many records individually and team records on the relay side. I think it was nine uh, pen relay championships with her teammates at Villanova. I mean, that was just so fun to hear her talk about that team dynamic and what that experience was like. And, you know, the coach-mentor relationship with her high school and college coaches who impacted her um, being raised by adopted parents, by white adopted parents, what that experience was like for her as well. Um, just so many things in this episode that just resonate with the times that we're living in today. And for me, you know, I'm grateful that uh, Angel was uh, able to come on my show and, and be so open and share uh, and talk about all of those experiences with me and the Run Chats listeners. Her blog post, some, some things that stick out, every single contribution, share, donation, body to protest matters. As for myself, I'm donating, speaking, and learning. This is a marathon if there ever has been one. We'll get tired. We may be tempted to stop, but we can do hard things. That's a direct quote from her blog. I know that that moved me when I read those words. And the parable about the starfish that her mom had shared, her mom and dad were teachers, they had shared um, that parable with her about throwing the starfish back and being them being so many on the beach and the in the tide and the surf, and really that it ties right into that story of saving one, making a difference for one. So yeah, every single encounter, every single opportunity, Angel talked about finding your lane, finding your voice, finding some role that you can play in the Black Lives Movement. So for all my white friends out there that maybe have not been engaged at this point, you know, take an opportunity, do a little more work, you know, do a deep dive, figure out from the outside in, hey, what role can you play? Because man, our black friends need us to be in this fight with them. They need our help, they need us to get involved, and they need us to be part of this, to work alongside them to get so much needed change and reform in so many different areas of this country. So super important topics. So happy to have the opportunity to discuss it with somebody who's so bright and has so many great ideas. So please give her a follow, pay attention to her voice, follow her Instagram stories and what she's doing with Wazelle. Um, I think it's a wonderful opportunity that, that they're giving her um, to have that platform to use her voice more. And I encourage her to write more because I think she has a lot more to say. 
Uh, anyway, if you all are as impressed as I was with Angel's story, as always, I would greatly appreciate you taking a moment to write a review on Apple Podcasts and just tell us what about the show clicked, um, what really moved you, what resonated and made a difference. And that will most certainly help us get more followers to the show, get more subscribers to the show, and more importantly, get Angel more followers so they can follow uh, along on her journey and uh, keep up to keep up to date on what she's up to moving forward because I'm expecting very big things from her. So thank you to all the Run Chats listeners who do that regularly. Many of you do that consistently in Instagram stories and reviews. So I just want to say personally, thank you for doing that. And I wish you all well. I hope you're all keeping safe and you're getting out the door and getting those runs in and getting your free therapy in. So I say to you all now, God bless everyone. Peace out. Always remember to stay in the fight. <laughs>